0: Hello everyone, uh, thanks for joining me, I've got a a fun show today, as as you'll all know I've kind of been networking around and talking to people who have, who have been uh, swimming in the Millennial Kingdom theory like myself, uh, people who've been doing this a lot longer than I have of course and in the hopes that I could maybe learn a thing or two about different perspectives on this angle that maybe I've not considered and uh, yeah today I've managed to get somebody who um people have been asking me to talk to for a long time and I have actually been a long time listener of this uh, gentleman myself and I have Noel Hadley of the Unexpected Cosmology with me here today and he's gonna uh yeah he's gonna help clear a few things up for us I think with this wealth of knowledge and I know I'm not gonna go too deep into it myself what this man's all about I'm gonna let him tell you for himself so uh no how are we? I'm doing great. Thank you
1: for having me on, Paul. I know that I think it was probably last October or the whereabouts where we first contacted each other and talked about uh, doing this together. And it's like October, November, and it just kept not working out. So it's good to
0: finally be on. Thanks for having me. (laughs) No, no, thanks for finally taking the time to do this. Yeah, it's just uh, the problem is with time differences, isn't it? Because America, US family you know having kids all the rest of it you know life gets in the way but we we did it we managed to we we persevered so i'm i'm thankful that you managed to do this no i really am
1: yeah i've uh i've basically locked down the upper portion of my house at least i you know i'm not out there to police the hallway but i've told everyone to keep to the first floor for this uh for this discussion so hopefully i will not have any uh, outbreak of children in the room you know how that goes
0: I do. I'm currently sat in the car outside of my house to make sure that doesn't happen here as well. So uh, you 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 have to do what you have to do, don't you? <laughs> it's one of those. But, no, but thank you very much, uh, Noel. So really what I'd like you to do just to open this up is ex- for people who don't know who you are, do you want to just give a bit of a backstory about what you're all about, uh, where they can find you, maybe your publishing company as well, and then we'll get straight into the, uh, the Millennial Rain topic. So I'll you give a brief introduction there.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So my name is Noel Joshua Hadley. I'm uh, my YouTube channel is the Unexpected Cosmology, and the Unexpected Cosmology. It's more than just you know a YouTube channel. It's it's uh, a book publishing provider, and we put out new books, new magazines uh, every single month. Uh, many of which are mine. Some are guest writers, and we put a big emphasis on ancient books, scripture, uh, hard you know uh, rarely read. You know, books from the 1800s, things like that. And but first and foremost, the Unexpected Cosmology is a ministry, and I put a heavy emphasis on uh, shepherding and leading people spiritually closer into relationship with Yahuwaha or you see Yahusha Hamashiach. And the theme verse of of the Unexpected Cosmology is to Revelation fourteen twelve of all passages. There is actually three times in the book of revelation where it talks about the people that satan or the dragon is specifically at war with and those are the kodashim or the set apart and it describes them on three occasions and revelation fourteen twelve says that those who endure until the end the set apart are those who keep the father's commands and the testimony of yahushua hamashiach and so that the the emphasis of my ministry is is showing that uh, you can't separate the father's commands from a testimony of shot Hamashiach because yahushua messiah he personally testified to the father's commands and they're they're inseparable and i really want to give people permission i mean my 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 higher my heart's desire is to give people permission to go into a deeper relationship with the father uh with our father in heaven and to be more you know be obedient to him and to follow his commands. so uh but that being said i'm i grew up as a as a pk for anyone who doesn't know what that acronym acronym means it's a pastor's kid i grew up in a parsonage uh, church was my life you know when the doors open or close i was there and so yeah um my i think that my big waking up moment though was back in 2015. And that's when the flat Earth took off. And when I was overjoyed, I was overjoyed to learn about uh, Hebrew cosmology or some people call it biblical cosmology and how much more literal, how truly literal the Bible is. And in fact, all throughout my life, I've stated time and again that I'm constantly wrong about the Bible and that I'm constantly changing my position. uh, But it's always been to take it more literally every single time it, it's to take a more literal position and so mm. um w- when the flat earth came along that just opened up this uh, pandora's box that's almost a bad terminology because you know pandora's box is reference to like evil spirits coming out but it, it just opened up this uh the, these floodgates of understanding in the scripture and i started seeing all these other things and there like um like soul sleep for example you know i was never taught that growing up or um you know one of my favorite is um is psalms one and psalms one says uh blessed is the blessed is the man who delights in the torah of yahuwah and on that torah he meditates day and night and i was thinking about that i'm like wow you know david is saying a man who ponders and, and reflects on the Torah day and night will be blessed right and I want to be blessed and you know thing is is like you know today in any kind of in any church or congregation David and the prophets would be thrown out to the curve as uh, as heretics uh for proclaiming this but uh, I digress and the other one of course was uh, the millennial kingdom which we're going to be talking about today that was another big one for me and I would say it was several years ago as I'm reading the Bible I'm starting to get the sense that uh, there was the New Testament was based around a mirror event that happened in the wilderness when they when the Israelites left their slavery in Egypt and they went to Mount Sinai and then they wandered through the wilderness for forty years, and I it, it, the promise at the end of the forty years, of course, is that they would go into the 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 land itself, and I was seeing the same thing happening with Yahusha Hamashiach showing up in this generation and all the language in Scripture was uh it it was it was focused on this idea that you know he was coming back quickly within that generation right and that all these fulfillments would happen and and i mean even paul in his terminology he says we who remain will be caught up right and i'm like well is that a true or false prophecy paul because you're 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 implying that you're going to be a part of this you know that generation (laughs) <laughs> and so you have this, I, I start seeing this false hope in there because I'm like, well, if he didn't, if he didn't come when he said he was going to come, then that's, you know, that's a, that's a false hope. And in fact, it was C.S. Lewis who said that the most embarrassing thing about the Bible uh i'm kind of paraphrasing c.s lewis but he said the most embarrassing thing about jesus is that he said uh he he spoke this prophecy that didn't come true that he was going to return for that generation and i remember when i read that i'm like wait what well what i didn't really know what to do with all this information this is back with like the revelation 12 sign and 2017 and all these people are saying we're entering the tribulation and blah 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 and And i didn't really know what to do with all this information because i'm like okay it looks like the bible was fulfilled back in 70 a.d that makes a lot of sense to me but what doesn't make sense to me is i look through history and i'm like well where did the millennial kingdom happen Mm -hmm. you know i i could never get on board with the preterists who are saying it was just a it was a spiritual uh kind of a you know syrupy hallmark metaphor i i could never really get on board with that at all and so where the conversation started changing for me was when I moved my family to Europe back in 2019. Now, this is pre, uh, uh, pre the cough. And, and my goal was at that time, because I was researching a lot into the, the, the mystery schools and the occult. And one of the things that fascinated me at that time was the idea of the Renaissance and how the occult Basically, came out into the open in the Renaissance, but they did so themselves as as Christianity very brilliantly, and they started coming out in the artwork and that kind of stuff. And I wanted to go look at the architecture and the artwork, you know, in person. So we spent six months going across Europe, visiting museums and castles and cathedrals and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just, you know, wowed by all this amazing, you know, poetry in stone, all this architecture. And so it was when we got back from that trip, I went to the Flat Earth International Conference in Dallas, Texas, and I'm standing there at the bar with my buddy Rick Hummer. And Rick Hummer for, if anyone doesn't know, he's he was uh, Rick uh, no, I'm, Rob Skiba's best buddy, and they did the uh, Chicago experiment together. And And so I'm standing there with him, and he's like, he's like, dude, you gotta like, you gotta like look into like all these, basements with doors and windows and, and that kind of stuff. I'm like, What are you talking about, man? And he's like, Oh, there's this like mud flood thing. And that was like the first time I'd ever heard of it. So I go home and I start looking into it. And I don't really know what to make of it all. And you know, my my first thought is how does this compute with anything biblically?
0: Hmm.
1: And I, I'll never forget, I was on a phone conversation with another buddy of mine, who he's, he's, I, I, I tell him, I said, Okay, sell me, sell me on Tartaria, sell me on this. And so the back in like 2019, you know, it, it it was just really taking off this conversation. There were there were you know the cool kids had really heard about it, but you know it, it wasn't like you weren't getting hundreds of thousands of views on this stuff back then. No. And and uh, and so I said, sell sell me on Tartaria. And he's and he starts talking to me about it. And he says, well, it was a it was a it was a worldwide emperor of peace. And I said. I told them i said that's impossible because every government is a beast government and the only government that would be a government of shalom is the kingdom of uh mashiach and as soon as i said that i just i was like dumbfounded like i couldn't talk anymore i'm just like gasp and i could hear on his end he did too and we both had that realization like oh my goodness and from then on you know i started looking into it so uh, i personally now I've spoken to numerous other people who've all said that it was 2020 was kind of the year when it seemed like a lot of people started looking into the millennial kingdom happening. Mm -hmm. And I, like many of them, you know, nobody else knew anybody else. It was just they have this thought. You start praying about it. You start thinking about it. You're like, okay, I'm going to test this out. See, you know, uh, see what what I can make of it. And I have to say, you know, when I came out, I couldn't. I didn't know anybody else out there for probably a couple of years. Probably two years, I did not know another living soul that was looking into this. And it was really a little bit terrifying at first because you're staking your reputation on something that could be very idiotic. And coming out there and saying, hey, guys, what do you think about, you know, we're living in the short season of Revelation 20 and the millennial king, kingdom already happened. I was waiting for people to throw tomatoes at me, you know, or rotten fruit. And it was it was a very um, overbearing issue because it, everybody can relate to this. Like any flat earthist out there who listen and, you know, somebody finds out that you believe the earth is flat. Of course, you know, the, the young kids, the new generation, they don't call it flat earth anymore. They call it something else. but Back in 2015, 2016, we all said the Earth was flat, and somebody comes up to you and they're like, "Well, what about satellites? You ever think about that? Have you ever seen pictures of the Earth from space? Uh, well, the Earth can't be flat, right?" <laughs> and and what I've learned in this in this search for truth is that people actually believe that the truth, if something is true, it's going to flat, it's going to fall in their lap. It's just going to fall in their lap, and it's just going to be self-evident. Now, the, the amazing thing is, is that, you know, it, it's truth in plain sight, right? Like, you know, it's sea level and airplanes and all, that, and all this kind of stuff. It's very self-evident. But mm. um, if you want to search for the truth, it's something that you have to go out personally and seek for yourself. You can't depend on me. You can't depend on you. You can't depend on anybody else. It has to be that individual has to go out and say, I'm going to problem solve, right? And, and I realized that with the millennial kingdom, nobody else was going to go out there and do it for me. I had all these questions, overwhelming amount of questions. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? Many of which I still haven't tackled, but, um, you know, it, it, it had to be a you know, case by case basis. Right. So, uh, that kind of, I guess brings us up to the present that was, you know, a few years ago, and it's something that I've been looking a great deal at. Um, I will say, I will say, well. I guess we're still in the introduction part for everybody Mm -hmm. out there that uh, I I put a lot of research into a lot of different things. But for me, it's 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 an all encompassing worldview. I'm starting to call it the kingdom verse. Now, you know, it's like the multiverse, all these different things, these components that come together. Uh, So we're here to talk about the Millennial Kingdom today, but I put a lot of emphasis on the Mandela Effect and uh, time as a construct. In fact, I wrote a book called The Lion and the Lamb. And for me, the Mandela Effect, it goes way beyond just these simple alterations. It's something that I think has probably been going on for a very long time. And it speaks to the short season that we live in and that Hasatan himself, that he is actually stuck in time. The idea of him being cast out of heaven to the earth is him going from being outside of time to inside of time. And so we're seeing him trying to manipulate this realm and, you know, maybe throw us into time loops, all all these different things in order to keep the short season going. Um, Another big emphasis in my research is on the feminine Ruach HaKodesh, that would be the Holy Spirit, that freaks a lot of people out. Uh, But it ties in beautifully with Uh, Well, the millennial kingdom and everything on the idea that wisdom is the mother of of Israel, you have the masculine, the feminine, divine, and the age of Pisces all working together. Um, I put a lot of um, uh, research into serpent seed. That's the idea that Cain is the actual physical, literal son of the serpents. Uh, pre-existence is another one I put a lot of focus on. People, uh, love the idea of pre-existence until they get deep into the research and they, you know, they, <laughs> they'll freak out on that one. Uh, soul sleep. I mentioned that, uh, of course, you, you know, 70 AD being a, a, fulfillment of prophecy. And, uh, oh, here's another big one I put a lot of focus on recently, and we don't need to talk about this. I just want to throw it out there that Yahuwaha. Now Yahuwaha, many people would, that's the paleo Hebrew name for Yahweh. Uh, or yahuwah or some people say jehovah this would be the old testament god Uh, that yahwah is literally the son of the father the son of allah hayam uh yahwah is yahushua HaMashiach. uh yahushua mashiach is in the flesh yahwah so and i'm taking people through scripture and and showing them that and one more thing too i just want to point out that uh hopefully i'm not boring you paul No,
0: no no um
1: is I put a I put a huge emphasis on on the Torah, the first five books of Moshe. People write books all the time on how to live like Jesus, and it's important to note that Mos- Moses already wrote five books on how to walk as Yahushua Hamashiach walked. And uh, so the, the the thing about the Torah is that a, a lot of people are scared off by the Torah. They don't want to look into the Torah. They don't want to read and study it. But when you when you realize that all the prophets were just referring to it. Yahushua HaMashiach was just quoting from it all the time, and then the the writers of the New Testament, Paul, uh, Yaakov, would that be James and Peter and so on and so forth? They were just teaching the Torah. It's when you understand the Torah, it's like, it's like the bottom of the iceberg, and all the rest of the Bible just the tip of the iceberg, and you start seeing things cross referenced everywhere, and it it's just mind opening and so uh i put a every friday night i go through the torah portions and it takes an entire year to go through the cycle and so i just encourage everybody to come on over and make a tradition of it uh learn your bible and uh go through that so i think that's my introduction paul <laughs> <laughs> let's get well, into it
0: yeah well you're certainly not somebody who shies away from controversial topics that's for sure um no, thanks for that. That was, that was highly detailed. And there's something you said in the middle of all that, obviously, just going straight mm-hmm. to the millennial kingdom here. Um, How you said this is really uh, very much an all-encompassing, tautological type of subject. And you call it the kingdom-verse. I like that. I thought that was quite funny. Um, And that is that is something I have found myself uh, when I first got into this subject. Um, Again, about a few years ago, I didn't start talking about it until recently because I've kind of just been soaking it all in you know what i mean and going out there and do my own observations a lot like you did you know traveling around europe and seeing buildings and just trying to figure it all out but um i realized you know as i discussed in some of my videos um you know in the conspiracy world the conspiracy culture and i think this is something maybe we could get into later because you, i think you made a video about how fractured it all really is you know how you want to try and bring us all together in that respect but I think a lot of us have been kind of looking in the wrong places for so long thinking we're trying to expose this evil conspiracy all around us when really this millennial kingdom thing kind of makes sense of it all very quickly once you start to actually really take it on board and it really does kind of um, go along with every other thing that we've been researching it kind of makes sense of a lot of things that the who what when where and why questions you know this is what this is it really this is what I've kind of found and it's I, you know I'm a little different from you. i I wasn't uh, raised religious at all. You know, I came at this myself um, in twenty well, twenty twelve is when I started even bothering to look into any form of Christianity, but it was two thousand and fourteen where I would say I was saved you know and born again and actually took it seriously and gave myself over um to jesus and and God and actually took it seriously and began to actually study these things. Um so for me, it was easy to accept this type of teaching but i myself just even talking about it have received a lot of backlash which again you attested to earlier as well it wasn't something people immediately take on board or want to even humor or consider um and you know i have you on today because people ask me a lot of questions you know complicated questions about history and the main one to sum it down to its to distill that question down to its most basic form is well where's all the evidence then if he was here you know, why, why has nobody written anything down? Surely somebody would have documented something. And after watching a lot of your work, you know, I, I, I can see and you can see that it, well, it was documented, actually. It's just the language was different. The words used to describe it was different. And I think, I think that's what I want to get in with you today, Noel, really. I'd like you to share some of your information and thoughts on. Um. So, first of all, let, let's start with the timeline. How do you think it all actually went down in terms of timings? Because most people in in this realm start with 70 AD. They believe the Millennial Kingdom started in 70 AD with the destruction of the temple. I know you have a different view on this, and I think it might be good for people to hear this. So what's your take on the actual timeline itself? Then from there, maybe we can get into the histories within that time frame. Sure. um, And all the intricacies with different cultures across all the continents. And maybe you can tell that narrative for us, because... You've been swimming in this for so long, you must have created a, a decent enough, um what should we call it, a chronology, shall we say, of sorts. So I'll leave that to you, Now,
1: Yeah, so, all right. So, yeah, 70 AD I, is a great starting point. That was a starting point for me as well. Now, most people, I think, who uh, say that the Millennial Kingdom started with the destruction of the temple, it seems like 72 is kind of where a lot of people jump into it. and. Uh, and I, I I I wrote a whole book on that, the glorious appearing of Yehusha Hamashiach. I am fully on board that that generation was the fig tree generation. They saw all the things that go down. The fulfillment of prophecy was talked about all throughout the prophets and, and, and the and the Tanakh. Um. So okay, so addressing a few things here now. One of the what, as much as you know, I, I have written and I, I write a lot. I research a lot. I write a lot. In some ways, I feel very slow at my at my uh, output because I have to go dig into all these books and find the stuff myself. And from the very beginning, I didn't want to be one of those guys that's just a historical revisionist. You know, you're just out there, uh, just you know, looking at pictures, making crap up. You know, saying I think this happened, that happened, and I'm just going to use my imagination. And I really wanted to let Scripture be my guide. Now, years ago, I started, uh, as I'm going through the Torah portions, as we're going through the the Torah, we're studying it in, in the unexpected cosmology, we were taking the Hebrew Masoretic and the Greek LXX and lining them up side by side. Now, for everybody out there who doesn't know what the Hebrew Masoretic is, if you open up any Bible... And you look at the Old Testament. That is the Hebrew. It comes from a document called the Hebrew Masoretic Text. And the Hebrew Masoretic Text is only a little over a thousand years old. It's not that old, according to official history. Yeah. Uh, the Greek LXX, however, is is the Old Testament of the first century, and that was uh, that's a thousand years older than the Hebrew Masoretic. And then, of course, you have the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then, of course, you have the the Paleo Hebrew, which I'm really investing in now. And we're putting out we're trying to get the the Paleo Hebrew Bible out. But Hmm. um, what we started noticing was that the Greek LXX, all right, so again, the the new testament writers when they're writing they're actually quoting from the greek lxx and this bo- this troubles a lot of people that they look at the way people are writing things in the new testament and they're quoting the old testament and the quotes don't always line up well that's because our old testament is younger than the new testament it's not that it's not that old and so as we're looking at, they're actually quoting from the greek lxx and we're looking at the timeline and it's way off completely off i mean we were perplexed at this at first and we started noticing that well to sum it all up according to the hebrew masoretic uh yahushua hamashiach uh, resurrected from the dead around the year four thousand uh uh four thousand years after the year four thousand four thousand years after adam was placed in the garden which would place us up around the year six thousand so you can see how that plays into a lot of the the zionist you know in times movement now Oh, yeah. uh, the the LXX, however, was one thousand five hundred years advanced. Yahushua HaMashiach resurrects from the dead in the year five thousand five hundred. All right. So right there you have a huge discrepancy. Now,
0: mm-hmm.
1: then I started noticing as I'm looking into this more that you have because I love extra biblical books. There are hundreds of extra biblical books. I try to read them all, try to scour through them. I try to edit them and I put them up on my website. Big, big uh, focus of mine. And I started noticing that there are books that align with the Greek LXX, and then there are books that align with the Hebrew Masoretic. And uh, i give you an example, the Book of Jasher aligns with the Hebrew Masoretic. But then you have books like uh, uh, the Book of uh, Book of Adam, uh, Adam and Eve. You have books like uh, the Gospel of Nicodemus, which was one of my all-time favorites. Those all align with the Greek LXX. And they started, they they would say something like this. They would say, Yehusha they said messiah resurrected from the dead in the year 5500 and then uh and then the the kingdom will be ushered in in the year 6000 right and i i used to read this stuff and go well that's that that's a wrong prophecy that didn't happen because clearly the millennial kingdom didn't happen yet so i would love a book like uh, adam and eve or the gospel of nicodemus i'm like what do i do with this so all i started doing was putting the i started putting all these pieces together and let me just state here first, because people will come at me and, you know, you, you got to love the, uh, the Christian book of uh, uh, the Scrabble words of insult that they'll pull out of the hat. And I've heard them all. And they'll come at me like, oh, you don't believe the Bible. You don't believe the Bible because you don't believe, you know, the kingdom was ushered in in 72 AD. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> Well, first of all, he, he clearly said, he said, I'm coming back for you to take you to where I am. He didn't say he was going to set up his kingdom there in Jerusalem on this earth. And, and in fact, uh, the the fact that uh, Israel is looks like a wasteland. I mean, you know, Agent Mark Twain, when he goes over in the 1800s, he's talking about how he didn't see a living soul and it was all tumbleweeds, right? It was all built up in the last 100, 150 years uh, post-mud flood. And Jerusalem was just a little, you know, little uh, bizarre out in the in the desert, basically. And that is exactly what Revelation, how it ended. It said that Babylon, Jerusalem's Babylon. It said that it would be a wasteland of devils and unclean animals, and uh, it was not going to be inhabited during the kingdom. So that's a huge testimony to that right there. Uh, anyways, I, I I started taking this timeline and saying, okay, so let's let's just say that the Millennial Kingdom happened. As these books, and I, I in my book, the Seven Thousand Year Timeline Deception, I just lay out these quotes. I lay out the scriptural quotes. I lay out um, all the, the the early church fathers' quotes, all how they talk about how within five hundred years the kingdom is going to be manifested on this earth. Now, keep in mind, everybody out there listening, that the kingdom was not only a, it was not just a thousand years. It didn't happen for a thousand years and come to an end. The kingdom is eternal. All right. The kingdom was then with Yehusha Hamashiach on this earth. It was after his resurrection. It was when he manifested it on this earth, and it is still now. Okay. The kingdom is eternal. It didn't go away. It was not destroyed. The thousand years specifically that we're looking at is a specific time on this earth when it was manifested on this in in our side of the realm. Mm-hmm. um So I you know I laid this out and I I, I looked and I'm going, okay five hundred to fifteen hundred. Well, that's amazing, and it actually fits like a glove, because five the 500s is when Rome fell, we entered the Dark Ages, and the 1500s is when we climbed out of the Dark Ages. I mean, there's some real Orwellian language for you there. Oh, we, yeah. entered, we entered the Renaissance and the Reformation simultaneously. The Reformation was run by Rome, uh, boots on the ground agents it was the perfect way to destabilize the kingdom and to break it up into you know splintered into all these different denominations it was brilliantly done it was like it was like rome you know owns the printing press and they're like oh don't print the bible no you know uh (laughs) and and at the same time you have the enlightenment and that was a clear rebellion against the kingdom absolutely 100 and that's why i said earlier that this is when the occult is coming out and showing their true colors and they're blending with christianity they're just running the show you know very esoterically some interesting things happening mm. uh it, even in the artwork and so on and so forth so uh paul you had mentioned uh earlier before we went live about the year 541. yes and and so i'm like okay so if, if it happened in the 500s there needs to be some sort of Mile marker. I need to, you know, be able to find this stuff. And the first thing I I found that was really interesting was these appearances of the phoenixes that would happen every five hundred years, in which I've I've covered much on that. And the the, so the idea is, and actually Clement in the book First Clement, which I wish that was in my Bible, I love uh, I love First Clement. He talks about how the resurrection. He ties in the resurrection with the appearance of the phoenix, and he says, you know, and of course it happens every five hundred years, and so, interestingly enough, I found a quote that uh, by a Roman historian that was shocked to find, everybody was shocked to find that the Phoenix actually showed up in during the rule of Emperor Tiberius. Well, Emperor Tiberius, he was Emperor when uh, Messiah was crucified and resurrected. Mm-hmm. And they said that that was a complete uh, it, it happened within two hundred and fifty years. It wasn't supposed to happen. It was a complete like sneak attack uh, by the Phoenix. And I think that that's when he actually entered Sheol and he resurrected the dead and that's when the phoenix came. And so I also have plenty of uh, prophecies like the uh, the sibling oracles and others that talk about how the kingdom would be ushered in with the phoenix in the 500s and with the appearance of the phoenix. And so we have that, but what really got me was when I uh, started looking into their 536 And 536 specifically by the the normies today, more and more people are waking up to this idea that it was what they call the worst year in recorded human history. Now, obviously, I would say Noah's flood was pretty bad for humanity, but uh, and even the the recreation event before that, uh, there's been all these reset events. Right. But. Uh, 5, 536 was the worst year where they were finding that the sun actually disappeared for 18 months. The moon, the stars no longer shone. There was like this mysterious fog all over the earth. Um, uh, skies clouded out. It, we, we went into this ice age. Everything froze. Uh, crops were failing. And uh, as, as they're looking more and more, and we know this, we know this because of the tree rings all over the world tree rings don't lie you can count them back and this is you know part of forensic uh, evidence here and you can look back in in the tree rings in everywhere from China and Mongolia to Siberia, over to Ireland, all the way to California and down into Mexico, up in Alaska. And they all say that the tree rings testify to 536 being an awful, awful, awful year. Well, what was happening was, is that it was the year of the fire reset. We had volcanoes blowing all over the world, there were probably dozens there could have been dozens of volcanoes, like like i said up in alaska down in mexico all the way south of china all over the world they were blowing right Well, hmm. then i then i found interesting enough that 537 the following year is the year that king arthur is said to have died in fact the earliest reference we have to king arthur uh, appears with his uh duel with mordred his incestuous nephew and and they basically, you know, kill each other there. Or he's mortally wounded, whatever. And that's the end of Camelot. And I thought, well, that's really interesting because I, you know, since doing that, I've been pouring through my Arthurian mysteries books. I was really into it back in college and I've just been guzzling down Arthurian literature and seeing it with new eyes now. And seeing how, again, very Orwellian, how this was their—it was a huge distraction from the actual Camelot, the true Camelot, the Millennial Kingdom. But this was their—it it was almost like their version of it came to a, a an end, a standstill, in 537. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, rudely interrupted. And then, of course, 541 is the year where there was a worldwide pandemic uh, that. Uh, people can read my paper or look at the the presentation I did on that where I pulled up a historian that talked about how the human race was almost completely eliminated in like a short six months period. Uh, there were just just people just getting pushed into the ocean, thrown off, I mean, just, just dead people everywhere. But the kicker is that the people who were uh, being struck with this disease that would kill them and send them into madness and other things like that, they were reporting seeing these uh, spirits come and basically touch them and give them the disease, or speak into their ear and saying they were numbered amongst the dead, or whatever. And this is actually where the idea of the grim reaper originates—the uh, idea that people were hearing these spirits knock on their door and they refused to go answer it. They would go jump in their bed and hide uh, because they knew that their number was up. So, you know, I'm just—I'm finding all these things that just lining up with the timeline, and it just makes sense. Beforehand, afterwards, everything in the middle is the Dark Ages, where we get these huge, beautiful Gothic buildings and cathedrals. And of course, the very word Gothic, right? I mean, there's more Orwellian language for you. They're trying to make something dark and ugly that was actually quite stunningly beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, So, in a nutshell, that's that's the timeline that I'm going with. And Mm -hmm. let me just also let me also state that I get it. That a lot of people out there, they they they're not going with this timeline. They think that I'm just making this up. I'm getting my calculator out. I'm being clever. No, I'm not. I'm literally going by scripture. I'm letting scripture be my guide and tell me when these events happen. And they do. They actually spell it out for you. They make it very crystal clear. It's not confusing. Um, So whenever somebody comes up with a theory in Revelation, Revelation on its own is a very confusing book. Okay. And the the thing that I will, I'm a chapter and verse guy, but I'm not just a chapter and verse guy. I'm like, can you cross-reference that? You 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 show me a chapter and verse. Okay, now cross-reference that with another passage of scripture. All right. So I'll give you I'll give some examples here. We say that there was a thousand-year reign of Mashiach, All right. Well, where does that come from? Revelation 20, but can anybody cross-reference anywhere else in scripture where that's supposed to happen? Because if it's a standalone doctrine, I, I don't really know if I'm going to get behind it. If it's just one little verse that we're going to blow into this huge thing, a whole movement based on one little chapter. Uh, Well, you can basically go back to the Torah. You can go back to the creation week and then you can see Peter or Kifa talking about how, you know, as a day is a thousand years and you can go from there. Right. You can start sourcing that. Well, here's a here's another one that I would. Oh, and, you know, so you have the seventh day, which is Shabbat. Right. The day of rest. And this is why it's so important for. Uh, everyone to keep the sabbath uh, here we are celebrating the millennial kingdom and a lot of people who are pushing this view don't even want to keep the sabbath that you know the very thing that they're celebrating um or advocating for um so that's very important well here's one more i'm going to just throw out there uh just to to speaking of the millennial kingdom to oh
0: dear i think we just lost him <laughs> let me just try and get him back guys i'm not sure what happened there. Um he must have accidentally hung up on us just to make sure guys we can still hear you can't you can still hear me right now can't you just let me know in the chat if you can still hear me if that's all right and um, i think from the looks of it all my connections just fine so we should be all right um but i will um yeah i will get him back bear with me i will just give him a quick phone call and let's see what we can do um It wouldn't be a live show without some technical difficulties, would it? Yeah, but other than this little hiccup while I'm just waiting for Noel to get back onto the show, I think I think this is going quite well. I'm quite enjoying this conversation. Uh, like I said, guys, it's a bit of a different, a different viewpoint on it, on it all, coming from a different uh, theological standpoint, and you know I, I think uh I think Noel's research is thorough which I which I enjoy, he's getting into all the, uh, the extra books, the extra histories, um, and yeah, I'm enjoying it, so give me a second, let me see if I can't just send him another link, uh, if Noel is listening, he can just jump on with the same link, I believe, that I sent him originally, it says there's two in this call, there he is, uh, so let me just ring him.
1: It says he's unavailable.
0: I think he's jumping back in now. Just bear with me, guys. Noel, have we got you? Yeah, I back. I somehow got <laughs> kicked out. I have no idea what. I literally, I'm just sat here, sat on my hands in my car, and suddenly you just cut out. Um, but we're back um and let's quickly uh (laughs) remember where we were at Um we were talking about the sabbath
1: well yeah uh, i i did i mention the mark of the beast not yet okay well let me just give you one more i'm trying to make a i want to make a point about how i i was so weird how it got cut out there um how i uh how i go about my research and why i come to the conclusions i do and so i think it's important to cross-reference everything all right so one of the most um, wild theories out there on the internet within the truth of the realm is the mark of the beast. All mm-hmm. right. So you 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 there are probably a thousand theories out there on what the mark of the beast is. You go out there on YouTube, everyone has these videos, it's always like the next thing, it's always, you know, some new technology that's about to come out, and don't don't take part in that technology, or else, you know, uh, you're gonna get the mark of the beast. Well, I would challenge everybody. I'm like, well, instead of just and this is why we get all these crazy theories on it, because there's no cross-referencing happening. There's just mm-hmm. this single verse, this passage, that people just use their imagination. Well, um, I would I would encourage anybody, well, try to cross-reference, find somewhere else in scripture where it talks about the mark of the beast. Well, there is something that's pretty close to that. It comes from Exodus 20 or 21, and it's the mark of Yahwah or the mark of Yah. And what is the mark of Yah? It is something that if you have the mark of the Yah, you, it is actually, uh, Obeying the Sabbath, and if you have the mark of the Yah, you can't buy or sell on that day. Well, that's really interesting because the mark of the beast, you can't buy or sell unless if you take the mark of the beast. And so mm-hmm. you now have these two polar opposites. You have the mark of the yaw where you don't buy or sell, and then you have the mark of the beast where you can buy or sell. And you're like, hmm. Well, that's interesting. That so, uh, yeah. So I just want to, you know, oh yeah, here, I'll throw out one more, um, and uh, hopefully I won't uh, ramble too much. But uh, the one hundred forty-four thousand. 144,000. So a lot of crazy different theories on the 144,000 out there. Well, again, I would encourage anyone. Well, let's cross-reference this. So uh, I did a study on Hebrew revelation. Yes, the the New Testament does exist in in Hebrew. And I've done studies on this. I did studies on Hebrew John, which would be Yochanan. And then uh, Hebrew revelation. And actually, in Hebrew, it's not called revelation. It's called the Confidential Councils of Yahuwah or Yahuwah. Really interesting. So in there, they use w- the, the idea of 144,000. It says how they're like versions in the Greek. Well, in the, in the Hebrew, it says the word betula. Well, betula is a word for a woman and only a woman or a young woman, a, a maiden. who who is not participating in sexual intercourse. Now, the idea of a betula, we have this idea in, in the Western English language that you have your virginity and then you lose your virginity and you never get it back. Believe it or not, you can get your Petula status back. You, uh, a Petula is someone who has not had intercourse. Uh, the first that appears is Rivka. Her name is, of course, Rebecca in the English, who, is, uh, who marries Isaac or Yitzhak. She's described as a Petula. She has never worshiped the pagan gods and never had intercourse. Um, but the, So when you understand that Petula is only ever a woman, there is never a case where they are ever men, never. It is. So John is writing Revelation from the perspective that he has the Torah, the Tanakh. That's his only scripture. And so he's saying they're betulas, He's telling us they're women and people get all upset about this and be like, no, because, you know, a bunch of dudes, you know, they're I'm stealing their hope that they're going to be one of the 144,000. It's like, no, 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 no. There was a. There was a a time period leading up to those 40 years, 70, where there was going to be these 140,000 betulas set aside for Mashiach, for Messiah, and they were not going to have sexual intercourse. Uh, and, of course, I've done a lot of studies on that and, and shown that. But what's interesting is that I think that that's where the nun tradition in the Catholic Church actually comes from. And I think that the, the, the quote-unquote nuns of the uh, medieval age, the... The dark ages with the millennial kingdom were actually uh of the they were either the 144,000 or of that tradition and uh in fact the the medieval documents that i have they actually claim to be the 144,000 so that's kind of interesting um yeah so i've been rambling enough sorry I got cut off everybody i don't know how that happened really weird um i
0: There we go. Sorry, sorry, my my volume was off there. No, no. Can you hear me? Just quick question. Am I? I, I can hear you. You can hear me. I can me? hear you just fine. Yeah. Lovely, right? There we go. Yeah. It's, like I said, I, I'm not sure what happened with the sound. Um, it's it's kind of all over the place today. Cause my I was just speaking, then and nothing was coming through on the microphone for some reason. I mean, I think it looks like it's coming through again now. But yeah, it it just cut off. But then the stream stayed strong and the connection was excellent and there was no problems whatsoever on this end and everyone was still here. So. Some someone cut you off, Noel, and it was it wasn't me. I can tell you that right now. But there we go. Um, anyway, wouldn't it wouldn't be a live show without some technical difficulties. It's pretty standard.
1: Oh, I mean, I yeah, I'm used to that. I I, <laughs> yeah. I get out on my end all the time.
0: That's it. Uh, well, you know, thank you for clearing up your reasoning behind why that it was in the five hundreds that this began. Um, one thing I'd just like to quickly clarify for me and um, when you say the phoenix turns up what does that mean exactly is that a, a real bird a flaming bird or are we talking about something symbolic there could you just clarify that for me a bit more
1: it might have been a little bit of both uh, the phoenix appears to be uh, a bird that it inhabits the spiritual realm and mm. so I guess my big question is does it you know how much does it manifest in the material realm so how much of it is a how much of it is symbolic how much of it is real but uh, it, it appears that the ancient historians all believed that it was a reality, and it's one of those things, you know, like you know, like the diaries of like Marco Polo or whatever. You know, you read these books, uh, you know, Lewis and Clark, and they describe like giants and things like that. And the modern historians, are like, well, they didn't really see that, you know, hmm. or you know, this this sailor didn't really see mermaids, whatever. None of that is real. We don't really know what to make about this. But you have some uh, very legit historians. And they all talk about the, the phoenix being a legitimate, real creature that comes every 500 years. And it, it, it's literally reborn. It dies. It, it's reborn. This is why we see, interesting enough, with Napoleon and uh, was it Alexander, the, the Russian, uh, when they're apparently duking it out in 1812, whatever was going on there with that story, you see the the Phoenix imagery everywhere all throughout. Mm. You know, the idea that the beast rising out of the ashes, The I actually have a passage of of scripture that is supposedly comes from Enoch and it talks about the same thing that the beast would be thrown in the, the fire and this would be referring to the destruction of the beast before the kingdom and that afterwards it would actually... Uh, awaken a return out of the fire like a phoenix. And um, I think that there's something, when we're talking about these idea of beast governments and stuff, I think that the the beasts are probably not just symbolic. I think there's probably real spiritual entities that are connected with them, including the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I think that those are probably real spiritual entities that go across the earth. And a testimony to that is that, you know again you go to youtube and everyone's like oh the second horseman has just been released you know <laughs> and it, you could do this every decade you can go back to it's like has anybody looked at world war ii i mean if, if you want like the the release of the four horsemen going across the earth there you go right there and i think that they just cyclically just are these four spiritual entities are released and they go across the earth and they they first spread uh uh, you know, politics or, you know, false religion, uh, you know, propaganda. And then the second one is war and then, and then famine and then death, right. That Mm -hmm. you know, follow in the wake. Uh, and so the same thing with the Phoenix, it's, it appears to be tied up with, with these resets that happen cyclically, really every 500 years or so that bring about the, the rise and falls of, uh, governments.
0: Well, obviously, like I said, the symbol of a phoenix is rife within the occults the symbol of death and rebirth, the regeneration, the rejuvenation of the old into the new. Um, the, the, the Freemasons are obsessed with it as well. It's, it's everywhere. OK, and I, I can understand how symbolically speaking, yeah, maybe maybe that's what it represented when they discussed it. But I was wondering if it was like a literal celestial event, perhaps at the same time, simultaneously, if it was like it must have been something visual for them to be uh, documenting it so fervently
1: yeah i mean that that appears to be there's these uh priest of uh in egypt was a priest of um i, I can't think i'll hang on here i'm live i can't think i'll find what city they were in but they would report seeing it and they would they would kind of know about when, when it was going to come in they would kind of look at the calendar look at the skies mm-hmm. and they would report it and that was the whole thing that it there was like a a, a sneak attack that the phoenix came in during the reign of tiberius mm-hmm. and it, again i find that really interesting because part of my chronology is I work out, because the biggest question I probably get asked is the resurrection of the dead. And it's really, you know, Paul, you talk about how you came into Christianity back around 2014, 2015. I'm actually, in some ways, very envious of people who are coming into it as an adult, because perchance they were able to circumnavigate a lot of the propaganda and the indoctrination. And so a guy like me, who grew up in the church has, you know, I like, I was a full blown, uh, you know with the zionist agenda and the seven years future i used to be a big hal lindsay guy i remember the discussions back in the 80s you know sitting around the table and you know the 88 reasons why jesus was returning in 1988 and then when that didn't happen there was 89 reasons why he was returning in 1989. i think there was 90 reasons in 1990 as well uh but i went through all of that and it's been very very difficult for me to 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 shed the pounds of indoctrination and in all the different ways of looking at this so people come in and they're you know they have all their 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 scrabble bag you know insult words like noel's a he's a he's a heretic you know like that he's a you know they throw this out there and of course you know name calling is always a one on a ten scale of arguments you've lost the debate as soon as you go for the insults um because you don't have a point to be made but the the thing is with the resurrection is that i've shown a chronology that there appears to be Uh, A few, several um, resurrection events. Even in, even in the New Testament alone, there there appears to be at least a couple of them. And um, so it's not something as simple as you know, like it's just this one-time event or it hasn't happened yet. Hmm. Um, I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) trying to figure out what to say next Um... okay no no
0: worries that's fine so just just one other thing as well which i think maybe just just to pick your brain a little bit here so a lot of people tell me well what about the early church fathers then you know and this i suppose what you're giving me here is kind of an answer to that in a way uh, because people say well if if christ came in 70 ad then what about the early church councils and all these type of things and the you know the nicene creed and the apostles creed and all these type of things and and do you have anything to say to the, about about that and the early church fathers, and where they stand in all of this? And uh...
1: yeah, so my my understanding of history is, I think, very different than a lot of people. When, when people come into this historical revisionism, hmm. uh, you know, they basically just throw out all history, say it's all fake. And you know, I toyed with that for a while. And you know, back at you know several years ago, I was looking at Anatoly Fomenko, and hmm. it did, he had some really interesting points uh i like some of the things he says i don't really jive with it too much um the, the fact of the matter is is that i brought up the tree rings okay and yeah. the the fact is is that we have geological columns we have things like that and people could pretend like they're not there um so but they're there and so what happens is is that the our controllers our spiritual controllers uh, is, uh you could say even hasatan and, uh, the the Prince Power of the Air and all the, the watchers and everyone controlling the world, they they kind of have to work with the geological columns. They have to work with the tree rings. And uh they can look, they can point to the geological columns and they can lie about it, but that doesn't mean that they're not there, right? Even architecturally we have geological columns. And so um, I look at I look at history and um I I I don't I am, okay, I put a lot of emphasis on, you know, how everything is a hoax today and the world is a stage. You know, I, I wrote a paper on how the JFK assassination never happened, that the Zapruder film is faker than the moon landing footage, uh, you know, or the Titanic never sank. That was all a hoax too. Like, I get it that the world is stage and, and you know, there's this psychodrama that they push on us everywhere uh, to push real magic. Um, but the way, when I look at history, uh, uh, this i'm gonna go really controversial on you and i, I apologize for doing this no, no, go is for it. the the big h word the holocaust okay um i have a a paper that i have written on you know why the whole holocaust narrative is a lie and that the fact of the matter is is that people really were pushed into concentration camps i mean the fact that you know world war ii sucked for everybody involved I mean, you were either you're either pushed into a camp or you were running alongside a tank or you were dodging the, the bombs falling. Right? I mean, it sucked. Um, you wouldn't want to be in a concentration camp. A lot of people died because of disease and other things like that, or they were bombed out by the allies or whatever. Uh, but th- there's a huge difference between um, there act- being actual showers with actual shower heads. And i look at him i go okay the people in in these camps like auschwitz actually went and took showers that actually really happened in history but then the rest of the world believes that they were duped into going into these imaginary showers where they were gassed and this lie kept being pushed all through the holocaust and nobody knew about it and they kept going into these showers they kept wondering why nobody was coming out alive but they kept going in the right and dying right and never mind the fact that it's a wood door with a you know with a glass on it that's not exactly airtight nor is it how you kill a bunch of people because somebody's going to push their you know i mean i i would imagine if i'm getting gas in there i would you know punch my hand through the glass and get a broken bloody hand but at least i'd save everybody right and nobody apparently did that point being is that that is where the lie happens you have something that literally really happens people were rounded up in concentration camps but there was no You know, there is no documentation. There was no master plan to wipe out a race of people. Uh, Another great example of this is about 20 miles outside of Jerusalem, there's these high places. Now, the Bible talks about these high places. They were Canaanite areas where they would put up these erect standing stones and they would uh, sacrifice to their gods there. Uh, It could be Baal. It could be, you know, um, Ashtoreth or whatever. Uh, But... They, the archaeologists who came in there and uh, dug it up about 100 years ago, they found that it was actually a crime scene. They found that these, these Canaanite high places where there were, there were babies that were killed and sacrificed. They saw like a woman, like about 12 years old, that saw sawed in half. I mean, it was a terrible, gruesome scene. Well, if you go there to this day, uh, the official story, in israel is that none of that actually happened there were no canaanite high places that were used for uh, as sacrificial sinners for humans and they actually have those standing stones there now you can go there it's like a biking trail and people take trips there and they have a plaque about how these five sta- i think there were five of them these five standing stones were uh, a sign of an allegiance between these uh five communities all right so right there you can see the truth and the lie they're 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 putting the truth in plain sight but they're lying to you about it. Uh so when I look at a lot of history, yeah, I think that there's a lot of truth to it. I don't say it's all fiction. I think that there is a they're taking these documentations and and you know, the, you know, they're snipping out books, they're you know getting rid of things, they're changing things, and the the Benedictine monks, the Jesuits were definitely behind that, but to a degree they have to work with you know the actual physical realm around us, if that makes mm-hmm. sense to anybody out there. Um, so this is where I would get into my bigger uh, millennial kingdom theory that it seems like nobody's talking about and unfortunately it was when the flat earth movement happened in, in 2015 when hebrew cosmology was all the rage and the ae map uh it was completely missed uh this idea that uh, everybody was asking these questions is the realm larger than it truly is and that's 100 correct uh our uh, our globe earth A.E. map, you know, our realm is probably like a third, maybe a half, but about a third of the greater realm. And I'll I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, So when you read a lot of these older books, uh, Enoch, uh, Adam and Eve, uh, countless others, I started started seeing this trend where, well, let me just uh, quote from you here, see if I can pull this up. This actually comes from 2nd... Ezra, if I can find it. Where is this? Hmm. Here, I want to read it to you, and I can't even find it. It's so important that I read it.
0: Um, no, it's okay. Hmm. Take your time.
1: Yeah. Here, it is. let's see. Okay, here it is. For behold, the time. This comes from Second Ezra 7:26. For mm-hmm. behold, the time will come when the signs which I have foretold, foretold to you will come to pass. That the city. Now, this city is New Jerusalem, which now is not seen shall appear and the land which now is hidden shall be disclosed now i read that i'm like okay that's interesting so when new jerusalem appears there will be a land that it is situated on which um nobody know nobody knows where that land is the land is disclosed but when it comes down for the reign of mashiach it will everybody will know where that land is now I didn't know what to do with that passage. And I started looking at that. And then I started looking at other stuff in Enoch and other things that is talking about this hidden land. The idea was, is that Eden was the furthest land in the east, the furthest you can go. Uh, People are looking to Mesopotamia. And I'm like, no, according to these books, it's a lot further east than that. Now, of course, I'm of the opinion that uh, the land of Mu or Lemuria uh, was actually the continent of Eden and that that was completely destroyed in the flood. However, uh, you look at these books and they say, okay, you go the furthest east you can go. And then, and keep in mind, we're talking about portals of the sun, all sorts of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You go further east, and it's just ocean, 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 ocean. Then you find yourself in the north and there's this huge chunk of land up there massive you know admiral bird talked about this there's this huge massive chunk of land and it's beyond the circuit of the sun and the moon like you would have to go past the circle of the sun and the moon you're in total darkness and then boom there's all this land up there and that's where the kingdom is all right so uh and this is this would take me hours to unwind all of this i wrote a whole book on this called the hidden wilderness and it's uh, you know, interestingly enough the Essenes uh, also believed in the hidden wilderness they believed that that uh, the, the Greeks would call it um, Elysium and the idea is is that there is a physical place on the in our realm in our material realm that only spiritual creatures can go to yeah. only you know the, the the righteous creatures can go to and so when people ask me all the time they look around and they're like where's no, where's new Jerusalem Noel you know there, there's different theories on this some people say it doesn't come down till the end of the short season other people say it comes down to the beginning, beginning of the millennial kingdom i i could care either i could care less either way i shouldn't say i could care less it doesn't matter to me either way um because according to the books i'm reading like a visions of paul and others these extra biblical books they all say that new jerusalem is in these this hidden wilderness or the blessed land or the undying lands um and that a mortal cannot get there, nor can they see it from this realm because it's covered by darkness. So uh, that that's another huge piece of the puzzle for me. And it goes on and on and on from there from the research. I've probably done a dozen videos on this. Mm-hmm. And so for when I'm talking about the millennial kingdom, I guess I kind of agree a little bit with the, with the preterist uh, p- position that it was spiritual, mm-hmm. because if you wanted to be in the happening place where the kingdom actually was, you would be there in the blessed land and the hidden wilderness and by the way i should point out to everybody uh, if they're like they they think i'm just you know this is crazy talk now uh you know look into the moon map because the moon map was a game changer for me and what's incredible about our moon is recognizing that it's a it's a composite image it's actually like a negative image Mm -hmm. uh, that was an actual snapshot of the earth on our moon and what do you know you can see the ae map on there it's it's that for me I, I was never sold i was never solid on the ae map i never took a position on the actual map because every map has problems uh, every single map, even the globe earth map there's like probably 50 different types of globe earth maps i mean they're just like there is no perfect map on this earth and no matter what position you take so if you're going to you know argue from the position of globe earth it's like well pick your map which map are you going to use right you, if you can only pick one map uh, so yes, AE map has problems, but here you see it on our moon, perfect. You see our realm perfectly preserved, but you see the greater realm on there. You see the the hidden wilderness. I mean, it's beautiful. Um, and so I believe that's that was the happening place during the Millennial Kingdom. That that was open, and it's still it is now. It is the Kingdom. It is happening right now on our Earth. Uh, that is where Yahushua HaMashiach is. That's where the Saints are. That's where New Jerusalem is. And that is the new that the 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 true land of promise that Abraham was looking for, as it says in Hebrews. Uh that you know that there was the promised land in our physical realm, but there was a spiritual counterpart uh where paradise is. Um and yeah, so that okay. that's been huge for huge that's been huge for me and understanding that. Uh, So the idea is, is that during the kingdom, you had the representatives, the kings and priests who ruled over this earth and over our realm. And I think that they, you know, had their cathedrals and stuff and they were ruling. But but we need to remember that mankind, they were still sinners. It wasn't a sinless existence. And in fact, the very theme of the Bible is rebellion. It is. It always, always, always ends in rebellion. It there is never a time when it does not end in rebellion, unless if someone has the new covenant within their hearts, they have a circumcised heart. I don't have the new covenant within my heart. Um, I'm not living in the new covenant yet, and I could say that because the conditions of Jeremiah have not been met. Uh, I'm not. A, I'm not resurrected. Hmm. That, I, I, that's 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 one of the conditions. You have to be resurrected. uh And so, anyways, that being said, uh, on in our side of the realm, there could have still been fights and wars and all sorts of, thing, so, sorts of things going on. I know people don't like to hear that, but the Bible is edgier than I think most people think of it. You know, it, it that's been huge in, in looking at this and realizing how truly edgy uh, biblical st- stories are and how we're always trying to smooth them down into this polished image that it never really works out that way.
0: Mm. Yeah, so the, the moon map, I'm I'm aware of that myself, and it is fascinating because the lands depicted outside of the 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 realms which are supposedly ours is enormous compared to ours as well. The, that hidden wilderness you're discussing, there, this Elysium realm, which um, yeah. is, is unknown to us, is huge. It's it's like way it's in terms of landmass, it must be at least three times larger than the landmass we have as Earth as we know it in terms of land. Um, so it's fascinating to, to so you think that's where. That essentially the camp of saints is and has been and will be for eternity is that what you're trying to say that that is the the everlasting kingdom now that's what it would be well
1: that's a good question because a lot of people are putting the camp of the saints in um you know the uh the north pole mm. in uh hyperborea and that that may be i mean i get it uh but it it could be like an outpost here in our realm i mean that's a possibility mm. um but I wouldn't put, I wouldn't hedge my bets on that. Um, but I do think it's a possibility. Now, one thing that uh, everybody listening, if you guys are familiar with Globusters, uh, one of the the main people that he died. Now he died a couple of years ago. Bob Nodal, He popularized this idea called the coffee cup experiment, in which you could take a coffee cup and you could shine a light down on it, and. You could actually create a light source around the edges of the coffee cup, hmm. and the reason why he would do this is showing how you could actually take the firmaments and with the with the sun itself, you could actually elongate the light on the outer edges. A really interesting idea. Well, if you're looking at the the greater realm and the sun and the moon do not. Uh, form a circuit there now they will in about 15,000 years we can always kind of cover that but uh, theoretically but if if yahushua hamashiach is a light and new jerusalem is a light then you wouldn't need the sun and the moon over there and it would and in fact all the books i've read on it they all talk about that how there's no sun and moon over there but there's a light more brilliant than what we ever experience here in our side in in, in the shadow lands over here and it would create a crescent moon uh look on the outer edge right with the coffee mm-hmm. cup experiment and this is what i've also pointed out esoterically with a lot of the crescent moon shapes we get uh, of course islam has it but you see it all through the middle ages here in my own uh, state of south carolina the flag originally it showed the crescent shaped moon with the um they added the, uh, with the words liberty, that's kind of interesting, the crescent shaped moon with liberty. Uh, they added the palm tree, I think it was in 1861, to give Mr. Lincoln the fig- finger uh, and uh, the federal government. But uh, so one of the w- things I've postulated is that what if, if that's the kingdom over there, that's the light, that's the crescent shaped moon, then uh, are we the outer darkness? Are we the ones that were cast into the outer darkness and i think that there's a um it makes a lot of sense to me
0: hmm. no but that's, that's an interesting take on it i mean so we, i suppose you touched on it a little bit there so from this perspective then so you know um, the millennial uh kingdom on earth begins the resurrected the first people take part in the first resurrection um i suppose rule with uh christ within this kingdom or maybe on earth in what you call the shadow realms i suppose would it be would, is that what we're saying there there would have been kind of kings or potentates on earth on behalf of jesus in, in a sense is that is that how it would have worked or would it have been because they were in perfected bodies they were in the kingdom and everyone else had to make a pilgrimage there once a year only during the rain were they allowed to go there how, how would it have how what would life have been like during the millennial reign from this perspective then for for everybody else what would have happened exactly
1: yeah that's a good question and that's one of the things that um i would encourage everyone to look into the 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 high sabbaths because uh there's of course we have a menorah with seven of them they are eternal they have not gone away and yeah people who did not keep the the sabbaths the high sabbaths they were uh they were cursed uh during the the kingdom um and well i'll talk about that that in just a second but all right so you mentioned the resurrection and i i, I know a lot of people can have questions on this and again so when i'm pulling my information on this i'm i'm just sourcing a, a multitude of different books one of my favorites is the gospel of nicodemus but you have other books uh, like the gospel of bartholomew and and others that all tie in with this and when yahusha was crucified he was taken down to sheol which was a bit of a trojan horse affair because hasatan didn't actually know who he was he did not know that he was the son of uh of allahayam or uh or as i would say yahwah um and and people always point out Point up the uh, point out the temptation, in the wilderness. Or like, well, who was he tempting? That well, actually, he was trying to source information. And actually, uh, Michael Heiser taught this too, interesting enough. And he didn't answer the questions the way Satan wanted. And he thought he was um, a bit of a lunatic. He didn't. Th- he thought he was afraid to die. Uh, he didn't jump off the cliff. He told him to jump to prove he was a Messiah. He didn't do it. Um, so, anyways, he takes them down there, and the resurrection actually happens. And 30 or 30 ad the resurrection happens now we have two accounts of this one is that in matthew the people come out of the tombs and mm-hmm. the, the the popular answer is that these guys just resurrected kind of like lazarus and these mortal bodies and they died again no no these people resurrected into immortal bodies and they did not die again and after so many days they got up and left and the the gospel nicodemus talks about this how that these people they've resurrected out of the tombs and they they come back and they were they wouldn't talk to anybody they were forbidden to speak to people but they could hear people praying they could hear them praying and stuff like that really fascinating story um but eventually they were the ones that wrote down their testimony concerning uh what happened in sheol and how yahwah comes down there and people are fleeing are flocking to him saying you know son of son of david come and come and save us right and he he resurrects them and he takes them up to paradise and so right there you have a resurrection of it you have two types one is a physical resurrection you have some people that physically resurrect out of a tomb and then you have other people like david and adam and you know the prophets and moshe and so on and so forth and they are resurrected spiritually up into the heavens so it's like well that's interesting so now you don't have a cookie cutter um, um uh, resurrection well then of course you know the the paul crowd loves to come in and not your paul not you paul but you know <laughs> the, the, the apostle paul crowd yeah and they're like they they to point out that the the kinker brothers that passage of like how they're saying the resurrection has already happened and they need to be shut up Oh yeah, well, I've heard
0: that before.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've been, I've been called, you know, you know, I've been referred to as one of the Kinker brothers, and um, and so, uh, here, here's, so here's what happened next on the timetable. And Paul, he wasn't, he wasn't wrong. I mean, I he he was talking about the the resurrection that was going to happen at the last Trump, which happened in sixty six A.D. All right. So, this is going to need a little bit of explaining because a lot of people don't know about soul sleep. And the idea is, is when you search all of Hebrew Scripture, is that when somebody would die, 2nd uh, Ezra is a great source of the 2nd Ezra chapter 7. When a person dies, they're given seven days of consciousness in which their guardian angel takes them all over the cosmos and and shows them things. And this is why the people are instructed throughout Scripture to mourn only seven days, which is kind of interesting because after the seventh day, the body is put down into Sheol, but the the this is what explains a lot of people's experiences of how they um, they they feel connected spiritually with the person for like a week after they die and stuff like that. I I, I personally believe that a lot of dead people probably can uh, hear what's being said about them at their funeral and that kind of stuff. Uh, but anyways, according, this is I'm just quoting scripture, guys, so people get upset at me. Uh, but Second Ezra talks about at the end of the seven days, um, the 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 righteous person is overjoyed because they see. All that they're going to receive in the kingdom, whereas the wicked person or the un- I should say the unrighteous person, because there's actually three different there's wicked people, sinners and righteous. There's three different um, types of people, according to Enoch. But they're they're weeping and mourning because they see what they've missed out on. And finally, at the end of seven days, everyone is put down to sleep. You're, you're put down in this sleep in Sheol. And the way I would describe this from everything I've read, it's like if anybody can imagine uh, you're, 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 you're as tired as a dog, you worked hard all day, you go down to sleep and you have this amazing sleep. It maybe it felt like a couple hours, but you wake up refreshed. You had some great dreams. And then maybe another person, uh, they, they're having a terrible night of st- you know, sleep and they're like, they're, they're like grinding their teeth and they're having nightmares and they keep waking up. Right. And it's just, so that's like the experience of Sheol for people where it's either going to have an amazing night of sleep or a, um, a terrible night of sleep. It, that came to an end in 30 AD. All, all that, what it talked about in scripture, when Yahushua HaMashiach went down, woke everybody up, tr- you know, trumpet blast time, uh, he takes everyone up to paradise. Okay, so the question that comes my way then is if that happened then, and Sheol is emptied out of the righteous. The, the prophecy is that uh, the wicked would be envious in Sheol because uh, the righteous would no longer be in Sheol. The, 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 the children of the Ruach HaKadosh would be taken away. Well, we see that really obscure passage in Revelation where it talks about the souls under the altar and they're they're all crying out, like, get us out of here. And they're told to remain a little bit longer. And people are like scratching their heads like what's going on with that? Well, you notice they're not in Sheol anymore. They're actually under an altar. Uh, People say it's an altar in heaven. I think it's probably both as above so below they were physically literally under the temple in Jerusalem And we know this with Josephus where he writes that in 66 AD at at Pentecost of all uh, um, Holy Sabbath days, uh, they were uh, Their voices cried out like the voices of these Elohim these gods cried out release us and they were you know Taken up just as it said in Revelation really interesting Um, So I believe that in that 40 years Everybody who's dying starting with Stephen and then going on forward, all the martyrs, all the people that died that didn't make it to the end of the 40 years, they're in that holding cell. They're taken there in revelation. they're given uh, they're given the the I'm just going to call them sheets, but uh, the robes and you know just told to wait a little bit longer. And so again, at the that's another reset boom, 66 uh, 66 ad according to the official calendar, uh, they're released and they're resurrected. And then we're waiting on yet another resurrection would happen in the 500s and so we see these even with the resurrection we see these reset events that happen and um you know it's it, i guess it's anyone's guess at this point uh when we die whether we go straight to uh paradise or the hidden wilderness mm-hmm. um or whether we go into another holding cell and wait for the next big uh big event uh but hopefully because i get asked that question a lot and so I'm just formulating this stuff off of what I'm actually reading in scripture and these different passages that, you know, that talk about it. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, so we can do really, because a lot of, like I said, a lot of this has been hidden from us. And I mean, in the long time span of things, when you actually think about it, we've only been really thinking about these concepts for a very short amount of time. Because like I said, the predominant thought process is that we're still waiting for all this to happen um So yeah, I appreciate I appreciate your speculations on that. That's very interesting. Uh, so let's get on to. It's happened now. The kingdom's established. It's done. We're living through it. How would that have looked for the normal everyday person who wasn't a resurrected saint? Let's say what what would it have been like to live through the millennial kingdom specifically? Would you have any thoughts on that? And again, you said it wouldn't have been a time of peace. It wasn't just as clear cut as as people like to imagine it to be that you know it it was just a a perfect time to be alive for everybody from what i'm gathering and what history tells us that's that's probably not true there's probably a lot of a lot of things going on and i'll let you expand upon that if you can
1: well i would stress a sinner is a sinner right that that's the that's the whole story of the bible where yahuwah he puts adam and eve in paradise they rebel you know, he um, he he takes people out of Egypt. He he takes them to this holy mountain. He gives them, he he goes through a wedding ceremony with them where he speaks the vows. And he says, will you vow to this as well? And they say, we will. And then he hands them the Torah, the, the, the conditions of his covenant. And people immediately rebel. And then you go through all of Israeli history. And people are just rebelling and rebelling and rebelling. And the Torah is done away with. We won't do this anymore. We're sick of this. And when they're in Babylon, Ezekiel sends them a letter. And he says... He says, if you guys would just accept the terms of the condition and come back and repent, and just so everyone listening, because people are like, people, are, there's a, there's a saying out there that uh, you can't keep the Torah, so why try? Why, why try to even aspire? Just don't do it. Just go out there, commit adultery, fornication, murder, kick a pregnant woman, eat pork, whatever. It doesn't matter, right? Uh, don't keep the Sabbath. Don't try. But it's like, no, no, no. What he says in Ezekiel, I think it's chapter 40, 41, He says, if you just repent of your transgressions. Just repent and be sorrowful for what you've done. I will do this, this and this for you. And they never did. And he so he didn't follow through with it. He never built Ezekiel's temple as a result. And so it's the same thing with the kingdom when you have this idea of he is physically ruling over this realm. And, and uh, what I have read what I have found in like, uh, the uh, sibling oracles and others it talks about when his government comes on the earth, there's a huge rebellion. People on this earth, they survive the fire, reset, all these things, and they're like, nope, I don't want this. I do not want the terms of your covenant, of your renewed covenant. I don't want this. I don't want to be obedient to you. Um, and that you have uh, at the very end, too, another huge rebellion where he, I, I showed passages and odes of Solomon, which I believe were written by the Millennial Kingdom saints. Uh, I think that's the best documentation we have. It was actually written. Uh, for the layman in very simple terms for the mortals and just the whole theme of it is like it's if it's written the people who wrote it identify themselves as being in sheol and resurrecting with messiah they have resurrected from the dead they're now on the earth it's crazy when you read odes of solomon that's actually what it says and they're just pleading with people they're like yes yeah, look look we're not sinners we we are resurrected we have the renewed covenant within us you know it's written on our hearts but just we're just pleading with you just repent and be obedient just just please stop persecuting us um i i believe that the the Malino kingdom saints were ultimately persecuted uh, people hated them and I think that they they basically they persecuted the king to the point where Yehushua Mashiach was like, okay, let's get up and let's leave. Let's just get up and go. And they they came for a time. They left. The kingdom is still forever. It still exists. It exists within us, uh, but it exists elsewhere on this realm. Uh, okay, I, I will give this piece of evidence a, a phenomenal piece of evidence for the for the kingdom happening. Um, it's the Sabbath day. So. Years ago, I came upon this knowledge that every single major language on the earth for the seventh day, the word embedded in there is Sabbath. Now, keep in mind, modern English is a kind of a now you're from you're from uh, the UK. And of course, the even modern English is not anything like. Middle, you know, English, you know, or Welsh or something like that. It almost reads like you read those old documents. It feels like a foreign language. Um, But regardless, you look at all the major, uh, not religions, uh, languages all over the world. They say Sabbath for the seventh day. And I used to go like, how in the world is that possible? How is that possible that every single government on this world is celebrating the Sabbath? Because they clearly don't. It's nowhere in our history books. And somebody explained it to me they're like well when israel was divorced from the land uh they were kicked out of the lands Uh, of course you know the, the the ten tribes were divorced uh they basically went into all the world and they they got the governments of the world to keep the sabbath i'm like well that doesn't make sense because they were removed from the land for not keeping the sabbath so how in the world do you get this well here you have actual evidence that all the different countries all over the world were keeping the sabbath day and it's embedded in their very language i think that that is some amazing phenomenal game changing evidence Uh, i wish more people were talking about they kept you know the saturday seventh day sabbath all throughout even though our history books say something different um so yeah in a nutshell i think that that's kind of what it was like i think um one thing I tell people a lot now is I get a lot of people coming to me weary and like, I, I'm sick of this world. I just want it to end. I wish I just die, you know, and and this is so hard. And I'm like, really? Because I love this. I love the world I live in. Uh, I love discovering truth and living a life for Yahuwah. And I tell people all the time that if you do not want to live for in, in the service of your, we'll say God. Okay, in the service of the most high, the king of this earth, if you don't want to live in service for him, why do you think you're going to make it in eternity? What? Why? What, like, how is it going to be any different in eternity? Why are you going to enjoy serving him then? Because you think it's going to be any different? Like, there could be whole new worlds of rebellions and evil things happening. And we will be sent in as messengers and guides to the people there and have to, you know, go through some terrible stuff. So we have to love our service to the King, or else we're not going to make it. Uh, and so I think it was probably very similar to the Millennial Kingdom, where you have these uh, these delegates, these kings and priests, and they were coming to the Earth. They were bringing the leaves of healing uh, from New Jerusalem, which the 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 mortals, the sinners, can't go to the Tree of Life. They're bringing them, and we see all the the architecture everywhere with the healing frequency, you know, the healing abilities um, in it. And I I think that that was the whole point: is they're trying to bring health uh and guidance to humanity and um yeah again the 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 story of the bible is that mankind always ends rebellion um so yeah that's as much as like say how what life was like i think it was you know and it would have been in the crib i actually think that the best analogy i can come up with is the lord of the rings i did a whole paper on this i think you've probably seen them and i talked about how uh within tolkien's mythology it's really interesting because he has uh, a flat realm and middle earth is a flat realm and then the the creator he gets so upset that he am i cut out again no no
0: i can hear you okay
1: okay your, your screen got black i'm like oh no i got cut out again um so tolkien basically middle earth he has a flat earth realm but then at the destruction of uh is it numeria whatever numenor numenor uh which is like the atlantis of middle earth the whole world becomes a globe, which is really lame on an exoteric level, but it's brilliant on an esoteric level because he says that you basically for the elves to get to the undying lands, you can't get there on a globe earth map. You have to take the high, you know, the straight road, the elven road. And so they're they're able to get to the hidden wilderness, to the undying lands, and that's where the kingdom is. Right. But in in Tolkien's mythology, these elves who are uh, some of them are resurrected. Um, and they're, they're actually beings that you, the, the mortals look at them, and they look like kind of normal people. But if you could pierce the spiritual realm, you would see them these luminous, glorious beings. And there's actually examples of that in Lord of the Rings in the book, at least not so much in the movie. Uh, and, and so a lot of the artwork, like if there are resurrected saints and uh, artwork that has survived, then they're going to look like normal people. Uh, to the mortal eyes, but you know, if you could pierce it. So they're like simultaneously inhabiting New Jerusalem and the, the hidden wilderness and living in this realm at the same time. It's pretty uh, trippy stuff, but I think um, Tolkien was spot on. And if you you know pay attention, right, like humanity, they they want Sauron to rule. And they they hate the elves everyone hates the elves and to the point where the elves they just keep shrinking into these little tiny communities and they're just surrounded by darkness and finally they're like okay i'm gonna get up and leave and they all just get up and leave mm-hmm. and they go back to, they go to the undying lands where they you know still exist according to tolkien lore. uh and it's the same thing it's it's the perfect example of what i see happening uh at the end of the millennial kingdom
0: i think i remember actually now you mentioned that i think maybe it was gary wayne who was making a point of this how he was talking about the um, the Nephilim. I think he was making references to perhaps those elves are being something akin to more like the Nephilim based on like the Twathodunom uh, mythology. Obviously, you're giving a different spin on here, which is which is obviously I'm, a, I'm all for alternative ideas. But he did bring up that at the end of the book, the elves do get on a boat, basically, and just leave. And that was like yeah. the, the end of magic, basically. <laughs> and then what was left was a human world. You know, essentially. Yeah. Something like uh...
1: that there's there's two uh there's like okay and i, I um to that point there's like okay well uh, okay <laughs> i won't <tell laughs> that, but um i the old me from five years ago the old me from five years ago uh looked around at at the world if you look at my old writings i'll be like that's pagan that's pagan that's pagan that's a cult and I had no appreciation at the time for controlled opposition. All right. Now, I'll give you an example of this. Um, I have some friends who uh, they have had their minds blown over the last couple of years because when they found out that I was a Flat Earthist, it just just a Flat Earthist, I mean, that barely covers what I am. But uh, they they were so upset and angry at me. They went out to prove me wrong. And they went out to prove me wrong. And every test they attempted, they failed and found out that the earth was flat. And they're just, their mind is blown. And I've been watching over the last couple of years go, "Wow, Noel, you were right about all these things. And they're just excited learning about the greater realm. You know, they're all into the Mandela effect and all these different things now. And, you know, they, they know all about the Federal Reserve and, you know, you name it, how evil Rome is. Well, the problem is, is they, they grew up Roman Catholic. And they will tell you, growing up Roman Catholic, they never once ever opened up a Bible and read it. Like never in their life they never opened up a Bible and read it. But they were diehard Roman Catholics. I and mean, that 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 sounds very cliche, but it's you know the way I guess it is for a lot of people. So for them, they now look at the pope, and they are like, oh, the Bible is is all a manipulation tool. It's evil. And I'm trying to tell them, OK, wait a second. You thought I was wrong about the flat earth. You see that I'm right now. Now give me a chance on this. And let's talk about controlled opposition, right? You, you have the, the people running the world, that, I, I don't know if, if the person running the, ro- the world is a pimply faced uh, kid in Pasadena in a bagel shop at the laptop, I don't really know. But let's, say, let's just say for uh, billboard purposes that uh, it's the Jesuits and the Pope is running the world. Well, it would only make sense then that he would take the Bible and hug it to his bosom, right? This is controlled opposition. And so now we're looking at, you know, the occult and all the things that they're holding close. You know, they're taking these different mysteries of heaven that were brought down by the Watchers, or maybe came down from Seth or whatever, and they're, you know, basically all trying to monopolize this. And so we look at it, and go, well, that's pagan, that's occult, that's New Age, and it's like, well, wait a second, what, wait, what? <laughs> it, it's controlled opposition, right? Hmm. Um, so that's kind of where I'm, I'm at on. A, I guess that's my response to that. That there's there's a lot of things that I've looked back and go, well, that's evil or whatever. Um, and this is it's taken me a life a lifetime to really appreciate uh, the Book of Enoch and what the Watchers did. And uh, Yahweh says to them when he judges the Watchers, the Watchers bring down the mysteries of heaven. Hmm. Now they do terrible things as well. I mean, you know, they create the giants by killing the husbands taking the women by force and you know you know doing that kind of stuff uh but he says to them he says you brought down the mysteries of heaven and he says they were worthless mysteries and i'm like that, i've pondered long and hard on that because it's like well wait a second these are literally the mysteries of heaven they brought down like real treasures of heaven I'll give you an example Azazel taught mankind to use a sword okay well we see a sword in genesis 3 when the angel comes down the cherubim comes down to guard paradise with a sword so we know that the weapons of heaven were swords that azazel then brought down this mystery and introduced it to humanity so a sword in itself is not evil but they were used for evil purposes and the reason why they were worthless mysteries was because uh the watchers did not teach mankind the torah of Yahweh, they did not teach them to live righteously they taught them to live wickedly they taught them to live lawlessly and this is what we see in psalm 82 where there's the divine council brought forward uh, the elohim and and Yahweh talks to them and he says uh you know like i'm gonna judge you like men because you're you know th- these elohim these gods are literally ruling over the earth they're the, the earth is divided up by the council of the 70 I believe they've all been judged. Now, um, uh, they were they were judged at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Uh, some of them might have repented and been righteous. I don't really know. I'm not going to judge the, the whole, you know, the group as a whole. I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, but, but um, he's like, I'm going to judge you like men because you are not instructing them according to as you ought. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of went off on that rant there. Um, hopefully that helps people understand my worldview that. Um, you have all these different religious you know the the Freemasons is a great example they're very esoteric and they hold a lot and they claim I invented this we created this if you're this is purely Masonic and it's like no you're actually the inheritors you inherited this and you are controlling it and claiming it to be yours but that doesn't make it evil um Hmm. in itself
0: so let's uh, let's get on to that aspect then so we're I suppose though, in terms of inheritors, were you talking about the aftermath of the millennial reign? So, um, who who did pick up the pieces and take it all for themselves? Because I assume, are you on the? We you, maybe you can clarify for me, but I don't I don't assume anything actually. But are you on the uh, the thought that maybe all these buildings that we see, which are incredible architectural functional designs, which possibly had some kind of etheric used to them in some way are they a product of when jesus came and reigned for the thousand years do you do you think that or do you have another opinion on that and then from there can we roll into so when jesus ended his reign in like an official sense obviously he never ends but when he ended it officially and gave it over to the little season who were the these inheritors that you're talking about so it's kind of a twofold question there
1: all right so um okay so I am of the mindset that the Gothic cathedrals and the Gothic buildings, the Gothic nunneries, the Gothic uh, friaries, monasteries, whatever you want to call them, uh, Gothic temples, all the Gothic architecture all over the world was millennial kingdom architecture. It was built by the the set apart saints, and there are multiple prophecies about uh, in Enoch and other places about how they would build these grand structures and that after Afterwards, that the watchers would be released and trample over them. Now, uh, a great example of the trampling that happens. So, let's say my timeline ends around the fifteen hundred ish, and the 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 king of England at that time is uh, King Henry the Of course, you probably know your English history much better than I do. We're not taught it out here in America. Uh, then you have King Henry the that followed. it, it really uh, it, it really struck me how. King Henry VII actually uh, creates the House of the Tudors, uh, if I'm getting my history correct, and uh, that he actually ro- resurrected the, the the Red Dragon, the which is now the Flag of Wales, uh, which was, of course, a prophecy of Merlin that the White Dragon would defeat the Red Dragon for a time, and those would be the Anglo-Saxons, and that uh, the Red Dragon would return, it, represented by Arthur's Camelot realm, which is now the Red Dragon's in control. This is the Red Dragon of Revelation. Hmm. Uh, so the Uh, interesting enough of the King Henry VIII, I was shocked, shocked to read. I'm just like, you know, minding my own business reading. And I read how he destroyed 800 Gothic cathedrals and buildings in like a few short years in England, not in other countries. He is going around and destroying eight 100 of them one of the famous ones is a uh, glastonbury this was the one that was uh the cathedral probably where uh, joseph of arimathea uh maybe personally ruled from uh, this is you know where avalon is correct so um the the destruction of these cathedrals start we talked about the world fairs this has been going on for a very 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 long time probably since the very beginning they went and started changing them around redesigning them destroying them and for the next few hundred years, uh, so that was the first reset, right? The end of the kingdom, as we know it. And then we go into the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment, they're building all new structures based off the same tech. And you can see the Enlightenment buildings are very different than the Gothic buildings. So it's it's almost like they're using the same ability, the same technology. They're wanting the same uh, blessings, uh, of the kingdom except they're choosing the curse they're choosing to be uh to rebel against the kingdom and then again we're we're seeing there are probably multiple reset events but the other big one would be like the mud flood event right we i mm. I, I don't even know where the common consensus is on when the mud flood happened i mean i've seen people say 1850 i've seen people say the late 1700s i just ran it off to about 1812 um uh, just gets a kind of a nice neat package but uh, whether it was a series of events, you know, or just one big event or what happened. Um, but that would be another big reset event. And it seems like after that event is when they they basically changed the script again from whatever whatever was happening in the Enlightenment and they went into this like new world order agenda. and um you know, and then they started destroying them all over again. A lot of those, I think that I think the tartarian, um, architecture i don't believe most are tartarian architecture is millennial kingdom architecture mm-hmm. i think it's probably uh post-millennial kingdom rebellion architecture and uh people don't like to hear this but i, I can't find a single uh single positive reference to uh tartaria tartarus tartar uh in i i have many different references in many books of the Bible, extra biblical books, and they all refer to uh you know the the deepest realm uh where you, <laughs> you don't want to go there. And so for me, I sometimes wonder if this whole uh Tartaria thing is actually I might turn a lot of people off here, but I'm just speculating and I can't help but wonder if, if the whole Tartaria thing this uh is actually the short season uh phase one. And and now we're in phase i don't know two three four at this point i don't really know um but yeah hopefully that kind of
0: made sense uh chronologically the way uh i'm thinking about it you no know, it's an interesting t- i've never considered that uh, you know a lot of these buildings were made immediately after the millennial reign by people who still had access to the knowledge and the technology to build such things which they learn thanks to the millennial reign, which they don't want to obviously acknowledge as useful to them in any way, shape or form. It's kind of like they want all the benefits without any of the responsibility is kind of what I'm imagining it as. Um, yeah, so
1: think of it like this. Gothic literature is unique unlike anything else. It is it is unbelievably beautiful um, architecture. and And then when you get into the Renaissance, With a lot of the famous Tartarian architecture, you get the domes, you get the Corinthian pillars, you get um, uh, it's just a very it's a very Greek, Roman Greek look to it, like Mm. a a Roman Greek revival. And so there was there. Now, I'm open to the possibility that there was something else going on where you had different factions or something different types of. architecture simultaneously going on but this is what i talked about earlier is that the fact of the matter is is we have geological columns i know a lot of people don't like to hear that but we have it's i'm not saying that what our history books say is accurate obviously because you know it's written by jesuits and the illuminati and Benedictine monks and other people but i am of the opinion that the i didn't start out this way but i've come around now to this idea that the it, it makes more sense to me that there is the more classical tr- Tartarian architecture was post-millennial, and that they again flipped the script in the eighteen hundreds, and they started destroying that, and you know, changing history again.
0: Mm-hmm. So, like again, multiple resets, quite close to each other, is what you're trying to say. So, where where do you stand on the mud flood angle? Because it's um again, it's something I've I've heard a lot about. Um, obviously, I've I've been there following the whole Tartarian narrative since it began. You know, and that was kind of what clued me onto considering the millennial kingdom angle at the end of it all um what do you think would have caused such an event if that went and when exactly would that have happened i mean what do you what's your take on all of that
1: that's that's a good question i can't answer it was it a uh it was a lot of energy that happened right so interesting thing about earthquakes is that uh earthquakes are specifically associated with spiritual and angelic um activity and we're seeing uh, i would say volcanoes too and we're seeing volcanoes just blowing all over the earth we're seeing earthquakes everywhere just going off the charts and so anyone who wants to do i i've done studies on this anyone who wants to do a studies on earthquakes in the bible and when earthquakes happen you have uh people coming you have spiritual creatures coming down from the heavens going up to the heavens or coming up from sheol or vice versa and and so um i would think that a Assuming that the mud flood was not a series of it could have been still a series of events, but assuming it was a worldwide event that happened in pockets all over the world, uh, it could have been a huge spiritual battle for the earth that was taking place between the prince power of the air and entities uh, it could have been a resurrection events. we could have been we could be looking at the return of the watchers from within the earth coming up. and of course, I had said earlier that the uh, the the seventy Elohim are appear to have been judged by this point and either they made the cut or they didn't i don't really know i'm going to leave that up to the ultimate judge i'm not going to just throw them all under the bus um you know whether they ruled over humanity as they were uh, supposed to uh but now we have what appears to be the 200 washers have returned and of course we see this with the united nations and d- different things like that uh the about the 200 uh what was it called crypto something, I can't remember, crypto craters, I can't remember what they're called. Now we call them meteor craters, but, um, you know, all over the earth. And those might have been, you know, the holding cells, right, for the watchers. So Mm. um, that it could have been something like that, just something about a a spiritual, some sort of spiritual activity that happened uh, that was probably a judgment event that caused this sort of liquefaction of the ground that would create a mud flood where Mm. you would you know, overtake these cities to the point where it was easy for them just to build up instead of dig out.
0: Hmm. I mean, people, have, people, and I myself have speculated, though I have no absolute I'm not one hundred percent on this. I don't think we're given much information to 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 clarify any particular time. But it does say at the end of the millennial reign, the rest of the dead will live again. Now we don't know if that means resurrected immediately after, or if it's at the end of time before the great white throne judgments. But it happens sometime after the millennial rain is what we know could that have been an event something similar to that do you do you hold much weight into the orphan train theories that go around within Tartarian groups what do you make of all that of, uh, well yeah
1: I, yeah I've I've commented on that as well I think there was a video I put out a couple of years now where I talked about that and uh so yeah we, we we obviously have some the 1800s I mean if I could time travel at any time in history I might jump to the 1800s first I I, I would love to go and look with my own eyes out in like Nevada territory and Arizona and you know places like that and see you know is San Francisco there right you know, just ask those kind of questions mm. uh, what was the, what, what was it like to go to the Chicago World Fair and you know I want to go and touch the buildings and and see if they're you know just plaster or you know what they are um, but um, yeah so regarding the orphan we, I know we've been passing this all around and so you know is is I guess is the question of the hour is reincarnation a thing now um... well, I,
0: I would say resurrection I'm not going for infinite soul cycles based on your karma type of angle I don't I'm not set on that myself and right. um, I do believe right. res- resurrection is a thing personally but I, I want to hear your take on all of this because again I, I'm not 100 and I'm I'm sure you're not either but let's let's see what oh. you've got yeah let's see what you've got yeah
1: yeah and see th- this is I guess still my thought process through this so uh, I would tell everybody that um, I actually do believe that the typical Protestant position is that uh, that a, a Protestant, a traditional Protestant Christian would say that regarding the status of a man's soul is that a wherever a tree falls, it it sits there, right? So whenever you die, whatever the status of your soul is, that's what you are for an eternity. You're either saved or damned for an eternity the thing is is that when you get into the pre-existence arguments and you start seeing all the scripture verses on how uh, we were all created on the first day all souls all souls were created on the first day and that we would be actually uh, what yahushua says in the books of the nazarene he says that uh that we are actually we became bastard sons Uh, the 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 sons of god that you see like in job and stuff i believe that was us i don't believe those are typical angels i believe that we were all the sons of allahayam up in heaven and that we did something that caused you know we rebelled, and that all the literature I've looked at has made me come to the conclusion that we rebelled and are there is something true to the caste system in that how we live our lives you know whether we're rich or poor whatever the things we're given it all depends on what we can handle and what we did in a former life, uh, so I would say that our redemption process is over multiple lives, and I could say that because I believe that we did something in a former life that caused us to have to come down to this earth and redeem or uh, be redeemed uh, either choose the uh, the atonement of uh mashiach or not uh but uh, um, and live accordingly um but so there, right there you have two life cycles all right beforehand where we're at now and then what happens next right and so yeah so that's a question i have are the people that are living on this earth now in this short season it's, it's really interesting because you see this population boom starting around 1800 really the late 1700s but it, it just it just skyrockets to just whatever billions of people are on the earth now I, I don't trust those numbers but uh this huge amount of people that are born on this earth in a very short time out of seemingly nowhere and yeah, so I, I speculate, what if uh, everybody on this earth, you and me and everybody else, that we are here in the, uh, call it the outer darkness, if you'd like, um, and we are working out our redemption and we're given one more shot at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we did something to deserve being here now. That So I don't know if that's where you're going with that. Um, but that is something that I can't say with full assurance, because I like to base my theories on what I can actually find in actual scripture um again but, I, I'm, um... I'm
0: not angling for anything because i i don't know i mean another theory i've heard and is that we're just simply the descendants of those who lived through the millennial reign and that's where the insane asylums come into it um most people who lived through it once the controllers took over they locked everybody up who was still on jesus's side basically um, recuse them of religious fervor and insanity and locked them all up and then that left all the orphans everywhere because all the parents were locked up because they still you know stood stood for the kingdom if you understand um i've heard that theory too so it's nothing to do with the resurrection well, yeah. or anything so there's plenty of ways we can go at it and i'm, I'm just speculating i just wanted to hear what your musings were on that particular topic that's all well
1: right so the, the the idea is that we are the children of the rebels uh this is a very biblical idea it's called the diaspora um so um a lot of people don't realize because people call me all the time, like, Noel's a, he's a, he's a Jew, he's a Judaizer. And they don't realize that actually uh, Judaism is a, of course, a non biblical religion, but it comes, the, the Jewish people, uh, of course, we could talk about modern Jews, whether they're the historical Yahudim, and I don't believe they are, but uh, the actual Yahudim is one tribe of the 12, right? So you actually have the, the children of Yasharil. there were 10 tribes, like you had uh, Natali, Reuben, Dan, uh, you know, uh, Manesha, Ephraim, you can go down the list, and they were all divorced from the land. They were all Yahuwah gave them an actual bill of divorce. Says, I am done with you. You're divorced. And the idea of being divorced from the land is you can never return to the land ever again. It's done. And um, and so the, the descendants of Yasharel, these are the people that uh Jude, James, peter paul are writing to in the diaspora they're actually writing to the lost tribes of israel who had become the goyim the gentiles and they're trying to graft them back in now they can't come back to the land and of course uh, the yahudim are divorced from the land in revelation they're done um, from the land and this is why we don't see the land inhabited i do think that there was you see a couple there you see like the church of the holy sepulchre you see the um the church of the nativity or the Basilica of the nativity and those appear to be millennial kingdom structures that were uh, that would have been used for pilgrims to actually go there to those very holy sites. But you don't see the actual land inhabited, um, and so it, it's the same thing for people today that we are uh, the ideas if we are grafted in, to, you know, the heritage, the spiritual heritage of Abraham through Isaac, uh, grafted into Israel. That we are in the diaspora. We are not living in the land. The land is the what I call the hidden wilderness right the greater realm i'm not there you're not there uh, so yes we would all in in that sense we are all descendants of the rebels um and uh but yeah i i think that there's a very real possibility of a resurrection event happening in the 1800s of course dorothea dix you know and she she uh i guess started a lot of those insane asylums and interestingly enough you know she ran the the civil war uh hospitals and as more and more of us are coming to learn that the civil war was one big probably masonic ceremony um like the only war it it it, it's very strange in america um where you actually had that entire generation rehearsed that war for the rest of their lives and they would go back and play battle until their dying days like joshua chamberlain who was at fredericksburg and gettysburg like 30 40 years later he's still going back to gettysburg and rehearsing it's so weird um, but you have to wonder if like a lot of the people who were losing limbs and, you know, things like that. And I don't know, having accidents of bad things happen to them. You have to wonder if maybe they weren't, you know, they had loose lips. They weren't going with the agenda. And of course, the insane asylums, right? They were putting all of a sudden, there were all these insane people. that Yeah, they needed to go into the asylums. And um, uh, yeah, they they uh, needed a a taste of their medicine, I guess, right? They needed a, a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down.
0: Mm, yes, it's all it's all great speculation. I mean, we're coming, we're coming. We're, are you willing to go for a bit longer? Because we're at, almost at the two hour mark. Because there's a couple of other topics I'd like to quickly just get into to round this off. Um, or do you need to? Keep I can. Going? Oh, I can. Uh, I have successfully
1: locked down the upper floor of my house. Nobody's <laughs> come up here for the last two hours, and I'm I'm good to go um, a while
0: longer. Okay, so um. Look, I'm not a date setter personally. I've never been one to set dates, and I never have been even before understanding this Millennial Kingdom angle because I've always felt it's quite snake-oily for all these uh, tribulation uh, end-of-days people to constantly be setting dates for when um, Jesus is about to return, for example. I've always found it quite tacky and something was off about it, and um, I'm not trying to do that with this angle either, the Millennial Kingdom angle. But I, I am curious to hear your thoughts and speculations on just how how long a little season is exactly, you know, and I understand it's a bit of a how long's a piece of string question, um, but you mentioned something earlier about the 500-year cycles. Would a little season from your angle then be in the next 500 years after the 1500 reset, whenever that was, you know, when the, um, the Dark Ages ended? Um, did you, is that where you would stand? That's just my theory on where you would stand from what you said, but do you have any thoughts on that idea?
1: Yeah, that's it. That's a really excellent question. Um, and I am just as you are, I am very, very, very much against date setting. I think that the, the biggest killer of this entire idea will be the date setters. I keep telling people stop date setting and they're like, Oh, I get it. And then they go out there and they date set. I'm like, Oh, you just date set. You just said that yeah. Jesus is coming for us in 2032. You just said that, you know, yeah. and, um, that's it's like yeah it, it I, I just went through that with like the the Revelation twelve sign that happened in 2017. Here we are coming up on the the next solar mm. uh, eclipse in 2024. We're a couple months away I think it is and and the tribulation was supposed to happen. It was supposed to go down and now those same date setters are going to 2032 and other places right. Anyways um, and I grew, and as I mentioned earlier in the show I grew up with that uh, all the date setting all the times it was supposed to happen. Uh, but uh, I think it's an excellent question. I think that there's good there's 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 a good reason to think that uh, we're coming up on another one of those 500-year events. Uh, it could have been you know, a 250-year event in there as well, um, coming up on, of course, 1776. But um, we're coming up on a big event. Of course, we have Agenda 2030. We know that the elite are really gearing up for something, and they're building bunkers. And it's like... Uh, it's it's what's you know the singularity events and for everyone who's looked into Project Looking Glass, uh, I think that that's totally legit. I think that there is a, a, a looking glass. I think that the uh, the different governments, Rome and all the others through history, had them. All of our controllers and they were able to manipulate time to their advantage, but they always knew that there was a singularity event uh, that was approaching. So I do think we're uh, coming up on another singularity event. I don't know what's going to happen on the other end. However, let me just say this when you look at the the idea of the ancient uh, we need to get off the gregorian calendar if we're going to talk about this because Mm -hmm. when you look at the ancients the hebrews in the bible the babylonians the egyptians uh, pick whatever you want they were going off of a a lunar system where you had the spring equinox would start the year so we're coming up on the start of the year here very soon in a couple of months Uh, we don't you know go according to january um and the year goes from the the planting season up until the harvest and so you're coming around from the spring feast you go through pentecost and then you go to the fall feast which would be yom teruah uh, yom kippur and then Sukkot, and that ends the year it's it's kind of over at that time and so you have this lag of several months between you know like what we would call october september october time up until March or April. And it's just like the dark of the year. It's kind of a strange way to think about it. Uh, and then the, the year cycles, again, it's, it's, sick, it's cyclical, right? It's not linear. It just keeps going in circles and circles and circles. And this is one of the reasons why Christmas trees are so um, popular, because they go back to Nimrod, of course. But the idea of an evergreen tree it doesn't lose its leaves in the wintertime. And it, it's, so when you have the winter solstice, where the sun uh, goes to the lowest point on the horizon and resurrects again. Uh, you have the the evergreen tree that people bring in their homes to celebrate like this uh, kind of resurrection or eternity through the the death cycle, right? Um, mm-hmm. But just letting everyone know, I I'm very anti Christmas trees. If you didn't get that, I'm not I'm not celebrating Christmas trees. Um, but anyways, yeah. So I my point is is that if we have gone through the year, right, and the year has come to an end. Uh, we are now in the the dead season of the year we're in the winter and how long is this winter going to start before the eighth great day kicks into gear again and i've i've heard a lot of different theories on this many good ones uh, that's all i can really say on that is we're just so everybody knows when you have if we believe that that Ye- uh, Yahweh works on his high holy days i love i love hearing christians talk about this and then refusing to keep them uh, even though Yahweh works on them but Uh, On the menorah, you have the seven lights and the last one, the eighth great day has yet to be fulfilled. So we've seen the fulfillment of all of them, but the eighth great day. The eighth great day is, you know, why is a child circumcised on the eighth day? because it represents the circumcision of his heart, his resurrection on the eighth day, right? The final fulfillment of all things. That's when New Jerusalem is finally revealed. And uh, we have a, you know, it's when uh, the eighth day is when uh, you have all sicknesses, uh, you know, like people healed of, of being cleansed of leprosy or whatever the earth needs, you know, the 7,000 years to reach fulfillment, these kind of things. So I think we're still waiting on that. We're waiting on the the kickstart of the eighth great day uh whether we're in it now or not i don't really know uh, i hopefully i wasn't confusing the people but that's how i look at it i i can't set a date because i'm planning just so everybody knows i'm planning to go the rest of my life i am 43 years old i'm planning to uh y'all willing see my children grow up and maybe see my grandchildren uh i'm gonna work for the rest of my life i'm gonna die and i am not expecting all of this there, there might be a huge reset of it right the great reset i have no clue what's coming on the other end it might just be another one of the many resets they've had over the last few hundred years just the next big thing mm-hmm. uh i have i have no clue what's happening so or yeah. you know what what's happening next
0: well you said it yourself people did document these 500 year resets events with the phoenix and they certainly lived through it to document it you know um so we don't we can't dictate or judge how that's going to go down exactly but we do know obviously um it's kind of the the new heaven, the new earth uh, principle does come after the final little season has ended, um. And again, who can say how that exactly is going to happen, or manifest, or go down? We, we couldn't. Um, but I, I'm 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 like you. I'm I'm planning to live a full life here. I'm not going to live as if um, it's it's just happening next week. You know, <laughs> which is what a lot of people do. You know, they they uh, I've said it for years. You know, I've been in this. I've been in this game for years, and I've watched people live in perpetual cyclical fear every year at the new date that's been set and we cannot live like that I just I just cannot agree with it you know and and I do see the potential for this to go that way which is I don't want to be a part of that if that's going to go down but I, pre- I appreciate your answer there There's, you give a lot a lot to think about a lot of speculation um so again we, we don't know the date I suppose we don't know how long this is going to go do we um but it, it is interesting because this is the issue we don't really know when it began. I mean, people keep saying 250 years to me because a 1,000 years is a, you know, and if you divide it by four as though it's seasons, then one season is 250 years. I've heard that. Like, I think that's why you say people are speculating 2034 or something like that or 20, um, 2036,
1: is it? Yeah, a lot of people are speculating based off of 1776 as yeah. well, uh, which yeah. maybe that they say is the, the birth of uh, or the rebirth of Satan. Mm. Um And, you know, it it was I have to give it to you, Brits. It was actually because, you know, America is still under the crown. A a lot of people don't realize, of course, uh, Britain is under Rome. But uh, it was one of the greatest hustles, uh, even just going by official history books. It was one of the greatest hustles in history where the British were leaving like, bye, you defeated us. Bye. Hmm. And, you know, and the peasants are celebrating and all the while they're still under the crown. but uh, yeah, so I mean, a lot of really interesting things happened in 1776. Yeah. And um, uh, so, again, it's, it's speculation, right?
0: Absolutely. I mean, you also have to wonder about the Statue of Liberty literally looking like a representation of Lucifer from that painting with a chain unbroken on its ankle as well. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's a lot of strange iconography out there which does seem to indicate that that, that particular time um, was a big deal especially in terms of sim- symbolic you know in, in plain sight stuff we were talking about you know um the statue of liberty you know freedom or lib- liberty from what exactly the british is was that really what it was all about independence day you know because um, i was i was actually born on the 4th of july so this is something i've been thinking about quite a lot as, as a british person it's, it's from a different type of angle you know um and to, to think that that date was the day you know that land freed themselves from the millennial reign rather than British rule is quite an interesting concept, isn't it? When you start well, thinking about it.
1: Uh, well, on that point, uh, you, you might know this if, if, about my research is that I I put a lot of emphasis on Britain being in our side of the realm because it there's the outer, the, the hidden wilderness, but in our side of the realm, I put a lot of emphasis on Britain potentially being ground zero. Uh, For the millennial kingdom and it's kind of interesting with the lights went off and they went back on right the the British Empire The the Sun never set on the British Empire. They had an Mm. influence everywhere and you see the just the the, even in France, too I mean just the beautiful beautiful buildings there Britain was the first um, Country uh, or people group to actually convert to Christianity by all historical records. I think that they were really blessed as a people Um, and we can, you know, I can get more into that, but the, the very word British means I, I think that you've done a little work on the uh the 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 Saxons as well. Uh because I've talked about the Saxons being the sons of Isaac or the sons of Yitzhak, uh and the the, the the evil Saxons that came in and overtook Britain. Uh but the very word British means men of the covenant. And so that that changes. That can even change a lot of the thinking when you're talking about, you know, in America, where like the British are coming. The British, are, you know, the men of the covenant are coming. You know, these guys. Need, we need our liberty from these guys. We need the great divorce from them. So mm-hmm. there's, um, you know, in, even even the, the the history of the Church of England, and you know, it's it's gone, you know, a completely different direction now from what it was. But, um, you know, there's there's something to be something to be seen there.
0: Yeah, you've you've done a lot of amazing work on that <laughs> and again i think there's way too much for us to go in. i don't want to do it a disservice i think maybe i can get you on another time to discuss all of that to be honest about british history and, and and the whole saxon invasion all of that stuff um so i did watch your work on that but it was just it was one of those videos where you know it's just packed with so much information you just don't know where to begin um, and I would, I would love for you to come on and actually discuss that sometime. I think maybe, maybe just, to, just to round uh, this conversation off, we we touched on this before we spoke, but there is a, a common question I do get, um, and it's it's a legitimate question, you know, because uh, obviously we're talking about the Millennial Kingdom. A lot of people do tend to say this is all very white people orientated, and that's kind of the response I actually get. Literally, those type of words, you know. And they always ask, what about the indigenous peoples of America? What about their histories? What about, you know, the Chinese history and all these people? Do they, do they just not exist in the millennial reign that we're talking about? Implying that we're just evil, white, colonial racists who aren't thinking about other cultures when we think about these things. Um, but I I, I want to ask you, do you have any any response to those type of questions? Are there evidences for these cultures during this reign? What What's your take on it all exactly?
1: Yeah, there's a... Uh, a great book out there that I actually did a reading through and um, it's called uh, he walked the Americas and the research in this book. It, it talks about how uh, Yahushua Mashiach, or if you want to go by the Latin Yesus, uh, I feel uncomfortable saying Jesus because it's only 500 years old and created by the Jesuits. But uh, Mashiach, uh, it, it's just this incredible research of. Mashiach walking through North America, through South America, and um, what's interesting, and going and converting all the people and making a people out of them. And you can see so many of the even the the Native American and uh, local traditions uh, deriving from this. Now, what what really uh, kind of was kind of a fallout of my chair moment is when it starts out that he's called the white prophet. And now the white prophet is probably because he re- it's referred to the fact that he wore white uh linen but i want to remind everybody that a the spaniards the conquistadors uh i i would think maybe i don't know in, in britain do you do you refer to spanish people as white people just just a question
0: um do you know uh, it's
1: a good question huh
0: it's because... a strange one no we would probably just call them mediterranean in in a okay. sense, or uh, I don't know. It's, it's it's a tough one. That I, I no. would say we consider them something more Mediterranean. The Northern Spanish, though, I guess, in, in a way, it's just European. I suppose we don't really consider them. Okay. Yeah, it's well, strange. I mean, I never thought it about was, it, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Well. Well, because the native americans referred to the white people coming over and so when i read this book people are like he wasn't white he was like and i'm like okay yeah fine he was a very dark almond skin but to the, to the native american to the red people he was a white person uh coming over but anyways they referred to the white prophet some really uh fascinating things uh for example like uh the, uh the hurricane the very word hurricane apparently comes from one of his names where he was able to calm the storms and so they named hurricanes after him i mean that that was a big trip But uh, he arrived with an entire entourage. He arrived, I think, with three ships or something like that. A whole entourage of mystery people. And so this was his uh, his posse. This is, I think, during the Millennial Kingdom. He came with his posse and he came over here. And uh, I think they had great times. And he also was in Japan and China and all through there, Mongolia. uh, The the regions we would call Tartaria now. And uh, so I think that... The problem is, is that it with the conquistadors coming over with the Jesuits coming over, they were quickly, we know that they were destroying their books, their literature, uh, just rewriting their history and to the point that the Native Americans only had whatever left was left of their oral history to go by. I mean, as far as my knowledge goes, the the different Native American tribes do not have like some sort of central library where their sacred books are kept, right? Um so anyways, I would recommend that book He walked the Americas to people, give it a read. And so you start to see this bigger picture that the entire world was affected by it. But it was what happened when the short when the short season began or when the millennial king became to an end, the conquistadors came over, they started murdering and killing people according to the official history right uh started burning down cities destroying things you know rewriting history so uh you know chopping down all the big beautiful trees in California and it just it goes on and on and on
0: Hmm. so in a way it's kind of because of the the catastrophic events uh, coming after the millennial reign when the takeover happened I suppose during the little season um much It's kind of all been convoluted together that people are mixing up the Conquistador and and Jesus all into like one strange destructive event when there were two separate events. It's just become a, a convoluted, complicated history now as a result. Is it something something like that? Is what we're trying to say there?
1: No, I'm uh so in in the book he walked the Americas. It's a collection. Is it like a hundred years old now? It's a, it's a collection of all the different Native American stories all the way down into South America through Central America, Mexico, uh, mm-hmm. like Oaxacan people, and up into North America along the Mississippi and all over. How they all talk about this this white prophet who mm-hmm. came uh, and taught them about the the father spirits and taught them his laws and these kind of things. It's a it, it's a phenomenal book. And what I'm saying is that all we have left is is there oral stories of this white prophet because when the conquistadors came over when the spaniards came over uh they started coming over and just you know they destroying everything mm. just just re- rewriting everything so uh, my my point is is that there is evidence mm-hmm. worldwide of this uh this kingdom on the earth
0: right brilliant all right well I, I think again we've gone for two hours 15 minutes there no i think we've covered quite a lot of ground today Uh, and i really appreciate you coming out to do this um it's been it's been great to actually finally get in touch with you it was uh it's been touch and go like you said for a few months to try and make this happen um and i i I really appreciate you taking the time to do this um is there anything you want to say before we close this show out i'll give you the the final word on this
1: oh you've given me way too many words uh (laughs) I probably stuck hopefully i didn't stick my foot in my uh, mouth too much i really enjoyed being on paul thank you thank you for having me on i'm glad we could do this and i uh, hope we can continue doing this in the future once again for everyone who w- weren't there for the beginning my name is noel joshua hadley from the unexpected cosmology uh yeah come on by say hi um and uh yeah that's i'm a I, I put a huge emphasis on books. So I'm a book publisher and finding very rare reads. And above all, we're a, we're a ministry and uh, wanted more than just talking about conspiracy. I love talking about conspiracy. The the biggest emphasis is giving people permission to live a wholly set apart life that you don't have to. Um, you know, our, our spiritual controllers for too long have insisted that that's impossible to do, but it's not. We can actually serve our king by uh being obedient to him so that's the whole emphasis of my ministry and thank you everyone for listening
0: thanks no thanks Al. so you hold on there no i want to speak to you after this show but to everyone else listen then go check out his channel um all the links in the script are in the description to this video to all the everything if you want to support him it's all there um like i said it's, it's been a great conversation we'll definitely get you back on in the future if you if you will if you're willing um, I would appreciate that, Noel, but again, thanks for listening, everyone. and as always, God bless.